It said we make 35,000 decisions a day. No wonder they don't all come out just right. Like when you pre-ordered those fresh sneakers, that dropped right when you repaid your friend for lunch. It happens. But overdrafts don't have to. Get extra time to cover your overdraft with Citizens Peace of Mind, so you can relax in those sweet kicks and focus on your next 34,999 decisions. Learn more about how to reverse your overdraft fees at citizensbank.com slash peace of mind. Citizens, made ready. Member FDIC. Because we've got to start the radio side. Super Chat is open. And we appreciate all donations through the Super Chat. If if you feel inclined, if you're new here, do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button. Ring that bell. We are here seven days a week for your listening entertainment. And uh, we are trying to hit 20,000 subscribers before the end of the year. And right now we are at just over 19,520. So we'd appreciate it. Hi, Monica. How are you? And if you're looking for Christmas gifts already... Go to our website, spacedoutradio.com. we got great shirts, great swag there. We're always looking to add some more, and we may be doing so in the near future. We are about 30 seconds away from launching this show. we got a great one coming at you. It's all about space tonight with Homer Hickam, former NASA engineer. Remember the movie October Sky? Yeah, that's the dude, man. That's the guy. He's got great hair, too, by the way. Fantastic hair. And uh, this is his second appearance on this show. We're glad to have him here tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun. We'll get to your questions in our number two. And for right now, let's do us all a favor. Let's get the horns up. Let's rock. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show and our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Navy the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. we got a great show planned for you tonight. Yes, the man, the myth, and the legend from former uh, NASA engineer Homer Hickam is here with us tonight talking about Mars, space, where are we going? Are we going back to the moon? Are there aliens out there? We're going to get into it all. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Then, after that, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio will be here for another cryptid report. It's Dave 101 night. Shirky Poo will have the news. 
Homer Hickam is an American author, Vietnam War vet, and a former NASA engineer who trained the first Japanese astronauts. His 1998 memoir, Rocket Boys, also published as October Sky, was a New York Times bestseller and was the basis for the 1999 film October Sky uh, starring Tobey Maguire. Hickam's body of written work also includes several additional best-selling memoirs and novels, including the Josh Thurlow historical fiction novels, his 2015 best-selling Carrying Albert Home, the somewhat true story of a man, his wife, and her alligator, and in 2021, the sequel to Rocket Boys titled Don't Bloat Yourself Up, The Future Adventures and Travails of the Rocket Boy of October Sky. And you know what? It's funny because Homer's become a real addict to listening to our show as well. I see his tweets. I see his tweets all the time, and uh, I know he's paying attention to what we're doing here. And it's it's a real pleasure and an honor to be able to call him a friend as well. Homer Hickam, thank you so much for coming back on Spaced Out Radio. How are you? Well, thank you for having me there, Grandpa Dave. Um, I do appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm here in the uh, mountains of North Alabama. And um, so talking to you in the mountains of British Columbia is pretty exciting. And also, uh, you're right. I, I do tune in quite often to your show. I love your show. I'm very intrigued by your audience. I think your audience, um, it, it's a very eclectic group. Uh, they are folks that... Um, don't just accept at face value what they're told. They want to peel the onion back. They want to see what's really behind the curtain. And uh, so uh, that's one of the reasons that I, I just jump at the opportunity to come on and talk to you and talk to your audience. Well, it, it is absolutely amazing that, you know, here you are, uh, you know, many people around the space industry know exactly who you are. Movie buffs will know who you are. I mean, the fact that you have done so much, you're a, you're a Vietnam War veteran. Thank you so much for your service. We really do appreciate it. You are a former NASA engineer. You're an extremely accomplished, best-selling author. I mean, is there anything you haven't done that you've wanted to do in this life? <laughs> um, uh, actually, I think I've, I've pretty well uh, checked off most of my bucket list, I'd have to say. Um, I probably haven't traveled in British Columbia enough to suit me. I've only been up there once on the way to Alaska. Beautiful, beautiful country. So, um, yeah, I, I probably still have a few, uh, a few travels in me, I, uh, I hope. I'll be 80 in February, uh, but um, uh, hopefully I've still got some life left in me. Well, if you want to come find Bigfoot, the door is open. You're more than welcome to come, <laughs> come on over. We'll, we'll check well, out some UFOs uh, you know, as well. Well, you know that's interesting. Um, uh, uh, just just as a little uh, little side talk about Bigfoot, um, I am from West Virginia, and uh, that's of course West Virginia is kind of known for a variety of different monsters uh, like uh, Mothman and so on. Which, um, but growing up there in Southern West Virginia, we we were often told uh, that there was a creature that lived up in the mountains behind our house and. Um, uh, I I I, I kind of thought that they were just trying to scare us so that we'd come home for supper, you know. <laughs> you know? Uh, but uh, in later years, I heard that uh, Bigfoot likes to thump on trees or thump on stumps, and quite often we'd be up in the mountains as it started to get dark, and we would hear that thumping. Now, whether our parents sneaked up there and started thumping on our trees, I really can't say. But reflecting on it, I don't think that they knew that Bigfoot did that. Uh, so uh, that's kind of intriguing. 
tonight you're talking with us about space, talking about the final frontier and everything that goes along with that. I mean, you have been involved with the space program for a long, long time, and and uh, your brilliancy with NASA still shows. Uh, and I think uh, we all owe you a, a large amount of gratitude for that. You know, are you excited about this new space race? Does it does it pump you up knowing that you know we are going to go back to the moon? We do plan in twenty thirty five to go to Mars, and they believe we'll be ready for that. I mean, how do you feel about all of this going on? Well, in in some ways, uh, Dave, I'm I'm now an outsider. I I left the the program twenty some years ago. I keep my hand in it in a number of different ways. I'm still uh, theoretically on the National Space Council, although we haven't met in a couple of years. Um, so so I do pay attention to it, but I am an outsider. So I can kind of look look from the outside and not necessarily be the guy that's going to go rah rah rah. Yeah, everything is great. Let's go. Um, the, I'm really, really happy about the, uh, the space launch system, that it worked. There was a lot of fears that it wouldn't. The SLS uh, is the uh, major component of the, the new Artemis uh, program. And the Artemis program is um, uh, supposed to be our return to the moon, um, where we are going to land astronauts on the moon. And I do have some a few problems with that program, but uh, also a great deal of hope. And if I could just drop back for a moment and, and talk to you and talk to your audience about um, why the going back to the moon is important to me. Um, it really started uh, back in 1960. Um, that's um, for those of you who've read the book Rocket Boys or seen the movie October Sky. By the way, it's Jake Gyllenhaal who played oh, me, Jake not Toby McGuire. They look about the same. They do. No, they that's all right. I always go when I'm when I'm speaking in front of an audience. The first thing I do is apologize for not actually being Jake Gyllenhaal to uh, to the women in the audience, and then I say, "Well," and Jake goes around apologizing for not being me. So that we're even. But but um, so in 1960, who should come? to Southern West Virginia. I was head of the Big Creek Missile Agency, our high school rocket club there. We were building very sophisticated rockets. But who should come to Southern West Virginia, to MacDowell County, seven miles away from where I was growing up, but Senator John F. Kennedy. And Kennedy was running, uh, not for the presidency, but running for the nomination for the presidency. He needed to win West Virginia. Um, in order for him to get that nomination, it was absolutely required. They felt like that West Virginia was a real blue-collar state. He really, really, really needed to win that primary. So he came to uh, Welch, which was the county seat of the county, and I happened to be over there buying a suit. Now, I write about this in Rocket Boys, uh, so I could go take my rockets to the National Science Fair. I never owned a suit before, but my mom uh, scraped up some money and sent me over to Welch to buy it. And so when I came out of the um, the men's store there with my new suit, uh, it was actually orange in color because I think they'd had that suit in the basement for about 30 years, weren't able to sell it. And I was the sucker that they sold it to. But I thought an orange suit would be pretty cool because it would stand out and people would pay attention. So at the National Science Fair. So I walked out in my orange suit and I heard the naval hymn being played, Anchors Away, down the street. So I walked down there. I was curious about why there was somebody playing the naval hymn in, in MacDowell County, uh, West Virginia. And 
I came upon this man standing on top of this Lincoln, uh, big old Lincoln limousine with a, with a loudspeaker in his hand, and he was haranguing the crowd. This was Senator John F. Kennedy. The crowd consisted mostly of coal miners who had just got off duty. They still had their helmets on, the, 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 the coal uh, covering their faces. There were some civilians around, and me. And so we stood there, and Kennedy was talking about, um, oh, we're going to get you back to work again. We're going to do this and that. But, in fact, everybody that was standing there, were, we, were, we were employed, or they were employed. So he stopped, and he said, uh, does anybody have any questions? And there was silence in the audience, mainly because we could barely understand what he was saying. He was had this Massachusetts accent. Uh, however, um, me being kind of the precocious high school student I was, I raised my hand, and he noticed me right off. And he said, eh, eh, the, the, "The boy in the, the, the that orange suit, you know." And and so he, so I said, um, uh, "What do you think we ought to do in space?" True story. Got a lot of witnesses on this. And I bet Kennedy, that's the last thing he ever expected was to hear a question about space when he's down there trying to convince these coal miners to vote for him. So he didn't have an answer. And he said he turned it around on me and said, well, what do you think we ought to do in space? Well, we had a little telescope there in Colwood and I was real nearsighted, had 2400 vision, both eyes. Um, and I couldn't make out the planets, but I could make out the moon. So I, was, I, I, I really paid attention to the moon and all the craters. I knew them all. And so it was natural for me to tell Kennedy when he asked me um, uh, what I thought we ought to do in space. Is I said, well, I think we ought to go to the moon. And he said, well, why should we do that? And I said, well, we can just go up there and mine the blame things. I look around all these miners, you know, and the miners go crazy. They think that's the funniest thing they've ever heard. They're applauding, cheering. And Kennedy, if he lights up, he's made, he's made a connection with this crowd somehow. And he says, well, you elect me president and maybe we will go to the moon. So uh, over the years, I have taken uh, uh, responsibility, if you will, uh, for the Apollo moon program. Now, let me just fast forward real quick. Uh, when I worked for NASA, of course, mostly during the shuttle era, we were not going to the moon at all, which disappointed me. I was a Vietnam vet, as you mentioned. Apollo was over by the time I got out of the Army. So I worked for the Army Missile Command for a while until I finally was able to work for NASA uh, starting in 1981 during the shuttle uh, program. So NASA was not interested in the moon at all. But uh, I was. I was still very interested in the moon. I thought that we needed to go back there. And we were starting to figure out because now after the Apollo program, we'd brought back all those rocks and everything, and we'd studied those. And now we had a reason to go back to the moon. We found out it was covered with rare earth materials. It had helium-3 that probably would be a great fuel for fusion reactors when we get those, and we're not that far away from that. So there was a reason to go back to the moon, but NASA was totally invested in the um, in the uh, a shuttle program. So being the rebel that I am, after I finished with the Japanese astronauts, I asked NASA if I could work up a study on how we could go back to the moon. And very reluctantly, they agreed to do that. So in 1993, I wrote the study on how we could go back to the moon. I disguised it a little bit 
by calling it the study of a National Science Foundation South Pole Station as an analogous database for the logistical support of a moon laboratory. But even though, and that's the NASA tech manual there, even though I I just kind of disguised it a little bit, within that was the blueprint to go back to the moon. So it was there for NASA when they were ready for it. So after I retired, um, I wrote a number of books, um, of course, as we know, Rocket Boys, but also wrote one called Back to the Moon about how the shuttle uh, was fiction, but how the shuttle might be um, uh, space jacked, if you will, and taken to the moon. There was a way actually the shuttle could have done that. And then later I wrote a series of um, science fiction novels set on the moon in a moon mining town called the Crater Series, a, a trilogy. And who should read those but... Vice President Mike Pence. So there I am minding my own business like I always do. And one day I get a call uh, in, uh, I guess it was 2018, uh, from um, the White House. And I'm going, hmm, I wonder who at the White House wants to talk to me. And it turned out to be Vice President Mike Pence. So um, he said, uh, Homer, I've read your books. I love Rocket Boys, I, but I especially love Back to the Moon. So what, uh, what do you think that we ought to do in space? And I go, well, there's the answer for you. We need to go back to the moon. He said, okay, I'm going to come down there and to Huntsville. We're going to have a National Space Council meeting. By the way, I want to put you on that. And so he did come down and, um, in, here in Huntsville, and he made a speech. I was sitting there by Buzz Aldrin. And he said, we're going to go back to the moon. And that turned out to be the Artemis program. So in a way, I'm also responsible for the Artemis program. (laughs) So, so, um, So, yeah, I have a lot vested in this. I think it's great that we're going back to the moon. Uh, The only problem that I have with it is I'm not sure that NASA knows why we're going back to the moon. They're working really hard on the how, but I'm not sure that they know why. And uh, so maybe that's that's my next chore is to is to help NASA figure out why they're going back to the moon. Homer, I want to ask you, and this may be a little bit of a controversial question, but in your time with working with NASA and the shuttle program, did you ever hear any talk about UFOs? Well, not really. Um, and and let me just tell you why I don't think astronauts talk about UFOs or even see UFOs. In the first place, uh, in general, uh, especially during the shuttle program and the space lab program that I worked on, um, there was no real reason for the astronauts to look outside except when they got a a few minutes uh, of rest that they could look out and maybe see what was out there. Uh, The space lab, for instance, didn't even have a porthole in it. You couldn't look out of it. Why is that? Because what we were performing up there was really uh, experiments that uh, principal investigators, scientists had spent their entire life uh, working on, their entire uh, uh, professional life, like a material science or uh, life sciences uh, experiment. So we trained the astronauts. That, that Their focus was totally, utterly on performing that experiment exactly right and not be looking out the window very much. Uh, so that was during most of the shuttle program. Uh, but now that we have the International Space Station and they're up there for a long, long period of time, now for just about the first time, uh, astronauts have some leisure time to look out the window. So they're looking out the window and 
do they see things that fly by? Yes, they do. And they do talk about it, but uh, they're reluctant to call them UFOs or UAPs. Um, uh, uh, they, they basically, because there's a lot of debris up there, you've got to realize the space station, there is a lot of debris around the space station all the time. And so if you see something going by, that could be debris. And so if you're constantly reporting that you're seeing things going by, pretty soon they're just going to they're going to ignore you. So they tend to not talk about it. Also, looking down, they may see something fly by. That could be a military satellite. That's not something that they want to talk about, air to ground. They may come back later and talk it to their buddies. So there's a there's a number of reasons why astronauts are going to be really, really reluctant. I think practically a UFO is going to have to come up there and knock on the hatch before, <laughs> before they would ever talk about it or believe that that's, that that's what they were seeing. That being said, though, there have been a number of astronauts since the Gemini program, and there have been recordings that have made their way out to the public about astronauts and including uh, rocket pilots, uh, test pilots like the X-15 pilots coming out and saying that they were followed, that they had craft around them. And yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is, and i got to make it quick because we only have about three and a half minutes until we go to break at the bottom of the hour, is with all of this information that is out there, I strongly believe that NASA is withholding an, a, a bunch of information that we probably should know about. And when Executive Director Bill Nelson came out a number of months ago and started saying, hey, I've been looking into this UFO stuff with the U.S. Navy pilots, and I've seen the videos, and I've talked to the pilots, this is pretty interesting. I've been raging in saying, have you checked your own closets? You know, the paperwork and the film well, are there. Yeah. What you have to realize, though, is, again, NASA is a how-to organization. They, they're given a job, and then their job basically is to figure out how to do it. And uh, so right now they've been given the job to go back to the moon. So they're figuring out how, how to go back to the moon. They don't really have the capability to be really investigating UFOs unless they see it with their Mark IV eyeballs out the porthole. That's DOD uh, area, really. Department of Defense does. They have, NASA depends on the Department of Defense. Meet Extended Stay America Select Suites, a new place like home with spacious apartment-style suites and full kitchens. With Extended Stay America Select Suites, you get real, simple value. The longer you stay, the more you save. Learn more at ESA.com. This episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of The Choice, the third and final installment in the Dragonheart Legacy series by best-selling author Nora Roberts, read by narrator Barry Krynick. In the conclusion of this epic trilogy, Breen must confront the darkness with her sword, her magics, and her courage. Start listening to The Choice by Nora Roberts now. Tell them what debris is in orbit. NASA doesn't have that capability. That's all DOD. So it's very, very possible that the DOD is holding back information. I, uh, I absolutely 100 uh, percent suspect that they that they are NASA, not so much. So would there be wouldn't somebody in Bill Nelson's position be in the know of what is going on, considering he has friends? I mean, he's a former astronaut himself from the shuttle program and that he has friends you know, all throughout NASA who've gone up in space and seen things? 
Well, again, you're seeing things, but you don't necessarily know what you're seeing. Uh, you're more likely to make a discernment on what you're seeing electronically uh, through radar or through other, other electronic means. The, again, the Mark IV, four eyeballs that mostly that's what the astronauts have to see, they're seeing the same things that people who see UFOs from the ground see, except they're seeing it from a unique perspective. Uh, so, you know, I don't even think the president of the United States has the full information. I don't know that they necessarily ask. I, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember that Jimmy Carter was going to get to the bottom of the UFOs. And um, he was he was just completely uh, blocked off from, no, <laughs> he never got the information he asked for. It never came. And I think uh, Bill Clinton also, I know Al Gore was looking into it. Never got never got a satisfactory answer from the people that that who, that should know. They would simply say, "Well, we're studying it. We're going to get you a paper. That paper may or may not ever arrive." You know, the president gets interested in other things. There are a lot of ways that um, the bureaucracy uh, can keep you from learning something that they they're not. Maybe they're not totally sure about it themselves. Maybe they think it's a bad career move to let uh, their superiors know what they think they know and maybe don't know. Uh, so I think that's that's a big part of it. Well, you know, uh, I, I strongly believe that, and I just cannot be convinced otherwise, that there is, I, I don't believe the scientists know, okay? They have a job to do. They got to get people into space and back home safely. And I think that is, I couldn't imagine the stress of that job. I really couldn't, but I do think that there is some sort of backdoor area where somewhere in Huntsville or or in Florida or in Houston, there is a room that has some UFO stuff in there. I'm guaranteeing it, guaranteeing it. Well, uh, I, I can tell you that um, I know a couple of retired NASA engineers who worked on Apollo, and, and they, they, were, they wonder about this, too, and they have a lot of information. We can talk about that later. Let's talk about it later. The legendary Homer Hickam is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Are we going back to the moon? What will that be like when we return on Spaced Out Radio? I guess my my big thing about it, Homer, is I really... When Bill Nelson came out and said, "Hey, we got in his accent, we got to go looking into this UFO stuff." <laughs> I I just as someone who has experienced the phenomena on a close and personal level, I just really felt insulted and let down. And you know, I I'm not saying that he's in the know, but he's in the position to know. And when you, I don't, you know, Dave, I don't think he is in a position to know, quite frankly, N the NASA administrator is way low on the totem pole in the, U in the federal government. I mean, let NASA has a million pounds of what we call soft power. People, they look at that NASA worm, they look at that NASA meatball, and they're just totally impressed by what NASA has done. But again, that's what NASA does. It does things. It does what it's told to do. It doesn't have a very big budget. It has to depend a lot on the Department of Defense. So if there are answers on the UFO, you're probably not going to find it within NASA. NASA is an engineering program, mostly. 
It's an engineering program that enables science, but 99% of their of the people who work on these things are just totally focused on the engineering and they don't, they're not really interested in peeling an onion back. There's no mission that goes out and looks at UFOs, but the DOD is constantly looking at what's out there. Right. That's where the answer is. If there is an answer, DOD has got it, not NASA, in my opinion. I'm going to put you in the green room here for just a moment. Uh, I'm just going to go upstairs, check on my son. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay, great. Be right back, everyone. Homer Hickam, our guest. Give me two seconds, guys.
Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Legendary rocket boy Homer Hickam is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Right before the break, we were talking about NASA aliens. What do they know? What do they not know? But we're going to turn the tides to going back to the moon because that seems to be the goal within the next five years of the space program. And I know, Homer, you are very excited about going back to the moon and and getting people on the moon, maybe even establishing some sort of moon base or something like that. Why is this important to humanity? Well, before we do that, I, let, let's go back and talk about UFOs just for a minute okay. more. I think, I think, Dave, that my answer disappoints you. <laughs> Somewhat, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but um, I would I would ask you again. We've talking we've talking during the break that NASA is a very engineering oriented uh, organization. You, they're given a test a test like going back to the moon. So 99 percent of the engineers are just totally focused on building whatever it takes to go back and do that. However, NASA does have the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, the Hubble has been looking out across our solar system since 1992 um, every day. Tens of thousands of photographs of our solar system on out to the edge of the solar system and beyond, the galaxies beyond. It has uncovered billions of galaxies that we didn't even know existed. And now we've got the web and we do that as well. So NASA is looking out all the time. So you can't really ask them to do much more than, than what they do. And then engineering-wise, they're building the space station or they're building rockets or whatever they're doing. So, however, with the Hubble during all this time, it, as, as unique as the Hubble is, as, as capable as the Hubble is, it has not seen, and I would have heard this because I know the Hubble guys that up at Goddard that, that uh, work all this, they haven't seen anything coming in anything big um, that and we also have just tens of thousands of astronomers around the world that constantly are looking out and we know we know we can pick out the tiniest asteroids asteroids that are maybe only a couple of hundred yards across we know where they are so with all of this looking out across the solar system why aren't we seeing these spacecraft coming in if in fact, they are coming in. So that leads me to the conclusion, they're not coming in. Um, they're already here. And so all of our stuff looking out is missing what, and, and again, this is just my theory, they're already here. And so uh, uh, we're not, we're not going to see the big convoy or big spacecraft coming in. So, I, so maybe... I'm sorry that I disappoint you with my NASA answer, but that's that's the way that I see it. And NASA is not looking for what's already here. 
well, they're I, looking for what's out there. I okay? would, I would counter that if you don't mind, please. No, I would no. counter that by saying that as many people who are using these to try these uh, satellites like Hubble or James Webb or or you know the SETI program that are, you know forty year plus years found nothing, you know there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people who have experienced things on their own or seen things yes. on their yes. own. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And, and that's, that's kind of my point is that you kind of expect, well, the astronauts, why aren't they seeing UFOs? Well, they have a unique uh, position, you know, above us, but we also do. We, we fly in airplanes every day and we look up every day. So yes, uh, I, I'm not going to argue at all that that there's something there. There's definitely something there. It's very strange. It's unexplained. We don't know what it is, but it doesn't necessarily take, uh, you don't want to necessarily depend on NASA to tell you what it is because I don't think NASA knows. Again, that's not NASA's job to know. There are folks probably in the bowels of the Pentagon that know an awful lot about this and um, they have their reasons for not giving out that information, whatever it is. I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me, too. I'd like to know. But I'm also I do take some comfort in not knowing everything. You know, uh, I like the fact that there are mysteries uh, still in this world. Um, and I, again, that's why I love your audience. Your audience is is intrigued by all this. They want to know. But at the same time, um, they are they realize that that there are always going to be just unexplained things in this world and in this um, universe that we live in. Uh, that's what really kind of makes it interesting. Uh, so, so that's my take on it. And um, so, I think I think we're in uh, raging agreement yeah. <laughs> about this. Pardon, in a way, pardon, <laughs> please, please pardon my ignorance on this question because I don't quite understand what you mean by this you say it's not nasa's job to know now for many of us who don't understand how the 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 layer of bricks work when it comes to space we look at nasa as the be-all and end-all gods of what is above us so it it kind of baffles me a little bit when you say that nasa uh may not know or doesn't have a right to know what's going on. Right. Well, like, well, now NASA is giving the task, given the task, for instance, to put robotic rovers on Mars. That's the task that they get. And they, they do it superbly. The jet propulsion labs in Pasadena, they're in charge of most of that. And we have these rovers that, you know, we have robots on Mars and they're looking around. So NASA is tasked to do that, but NASA may not actually be the one that's receiving all of the information and also making discernments on what they are seeing. Those experts are not necessarily within NASA. The engineers are there. Some of the scientists are there. But a lot of that's going out to universities and uh, who, who are experts, these, these professors, that's their entire career, is trying to understand uh, Mars and the geologists get involved. So a lot of that NASA is like, okay, we're going on to the next thing. We're going to build the next rover and we're going to go to Venus or we're going to go wherever we're going to go. We're going back to the moon. So NASA is the can-do, how-do organization that 
is given the task to put these eyes on the solar system and these planets and our moons, but they aren't necessarily the one within NASA that that studies that and comes up with certain conclusions. If if you get my if you get my drift here, NASA essentially is an engineering organization. Right. Well, and if, if so, you knew how my brain works, I'm I'm sitting here saying that Homer Hickam is telling me that there's a secret space program out there that we should be paying <laughs> attention to. There may very well be, um, and it's not NASA's. It's going to belong to the Department of Defense. And and there, well, obviously there is a secret space program out there. There's the X-37. It just landed last week. That's been up there for a couple of years, and we have no clue. I can guarantee you nobody in NASA, including Bill Nelson, has a a clue as to what the X-37 was up to uh, while it was up there, because that's not their business. Uh, DOD would slap NASA down so fast if they tried to, to figure that out. It's just like, no, it's none of your business what we're doing up here, buddy. Leave us alone. So, so, so again, I, I'm, I'm sorry that, that, that uh, my answer and NASA disappoints you a little bit, but you do have to kind of know the bureaucracy of, of NASA. And, and I was part of that. I used to call myself a bureaucratic infighter uh, because we have these different centers, Marshall Space Flight Center here in Huntsville, Johnson down in Houston, Goddard up in Maryland. And, uh, and we're, we're always jockeying for funding, you know, and, and it's because we have the best engineers or we can, we propose to do this. We propose to do that. And that's, that's the way bureaucracies uh, work. So NASA has certain um, parameters, if you will, uh, restrictions that it stays within. It doesn't, it very, very rarely gets involved with anything that has to do with um, defense. Sometimes when the shuttle was flying, it had a couple of defense-oriented missions, and the astronauts never talked about that. But, you know, we know what they were doing. They were launching spy satellites, no question about it. So, um, so, so that's, that's, uh, that's what NASA does. That's its business. That's how, that's how it makes a living is engineering. And, um, but there are elements to the Department of Defense that, um, that are looking at these things and um, whatever they are, and they have the instrumentation, they have the equipment, uh, if anybody does, to figure out what they are. Okay, so considering <laughs> I, you're, you're more nuts and bolts than I will ever be, I got to ask you about the moon here. Because yeah. there are all these rumors that uh, Apollo, many Apollo astronauts actually had some sort of happening on the moon while they were, you know, investigating things. And I do believe that, you know, there's reports, uh, you know, of Neil Armstrong saying they're on the hill watching us. Yes, there is a Santa Claus. You know, uh, I know Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the number <laughs> six man to walk right. on the moon, was a hot, a big yeah. proponent of yeah. uh, UFOs and extraterrestrials from what he had seen allegedly on Apollo. Um I got to ask you, because as silly as this will sound, and I already know what your answer is, and I'm just shaking my head that I'm going to embarrass myself and ask this. There's always been rumors that we weren't allowed to go back to the moon. Okay, and I realize this is real sci-fi stuff here. 
uh, Homer. But, I mean, is there anything out there that would perceive that maybe we were asked not to go back to the moon or that we just shut it down for no reason? Like, well, we didn't shut it. We didn't shut it down for no reason. I mean, uh, we shut it down for political reasons and budget reasons and congressional reasons and a lot of really, in my opinion, stupid reasons. I wish it had been that we saw something on the moon that we couldn't go back to. But um, I mean, I I know I've met most of the Apollo astronauts. They've never told me that story. Just real quick, why did well, why did we stop going to the moon? Apollo thirteen scared. NASA to death and they were not meet extended stay America select suites a new place like home with spacious apartment style suites and full kitchens with extended stay America select suites you get real simple value the longer you stay the more you save learn more at ESA.com you go by many titles dad it's time to get out. night manager and carpool captain. Hey guys, let's go, come on. Everybody in. So adding a student title might feel daunting, but what if a school could be there for all of you? Career, family, finances, and mental health. <laughs> National University believes supporting all your titles can lead to another one. Successful graduate. National University, supporting the whole you. Learn more at nu.edu. Not going to get the funding to make the Apollo program better. They were still going to have to fly... Uh, on the Saturn V with uh, the Apollo capsule and that flimsy little limb, and they knew they were going to lose astronauts. So when Congress started kicking up a fuss, oh, this is costing us too much money, you got to realize we didn't know what the moon was like. We brought all those rocks back, but nobody had had time to study them at that point. So as far as we knew, the moon was just the dead, dry, awful place, not worth visiting, just a bunch of rocks we dragged back, it's not worth losing uh, uh, people over. It's not worth uh, spending all this money. And you've got to realize also, Dave, that I, I, I know an awful lot of the engineers here in Huntsville that worked on that program, they were worn out. They were absolutely exhausted uh, to get us to the moon within the decade of the 1960s in order to meet JFK's um, what, what, his, what his requirement was. And so they were exhausted. They were ready to step away from it. Most of them retired. They retired um, in their 20s and their 30s just to get away from working these 16, 18, 20-hour days. They had lost their families. A lot of them had died of heart attack because they smoked and they drank too much while trying to make that happen. So there are a lot of, of really uh, valid reasons. Now, I didn't like that, as I mentioned before, uh, of course, the shuttle program was a great program. It did a lot of really, really terrific things, but I always felt like that we should go back to the moon. And the first chance that, that, um, that uh, uh, at least Vice President Pence and the National Space Council could do it after we'd built the space station and after, obviously, the shuttle needed to be retired, that was our next thing, is to go back to the moon. So, so if there's anything in the hallways of the Pentagon or NASA or the White House or anywhere else that says, oh, there's something there that we can't go back to, nobody now knows about it. And if there is, we're about to find out because we are going back now. So uh, my, as I mentioned at the top of the program, what I want NASA to do is not just 
to figure out how to go back to the moon. That's what they're doing right now is figuring out how, but also to figure out why they're going back. And I'm not exactly sure that they know why they're going back. And the reason that, to me, the reason is, and NASA is always very reluctant to talk about it, um, if you talk about, well, NASA, why do you have the International Space Station? Why did you have the shuttle program? Why, do, you know, they always say, well, it's because of science. We're doing it for science and we're doing it for inspiration. That's it. We're going to inspire our youth. And it's like, you want to inspire our youth? Just tell them to watch the movie October Sky. There's your inspiration. You don't need to go back to the moon. <laughs> Bingo. So, so the reason that we're going back, the reason because we're going back to live there. We're going to go live on the moon. We're going to go work on the moon. There are resources on the moon. <laughs> That's why we're going back. Forget science and inspiration. Science, yes, inspiration, great, fine. But we're going back. We're going to build communities just like where I grew up in Colwood, West by God, Virginia. We're going to build mining towns on the moon, and we're going to bring all those resources back to the earth. And if we find something up out there, I hope that we do, that falls into the area that you're talking about, oh, all the better. But we are going back, and if there's something there, we are going to find it. Homer Hickam is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. We've got about seven minutes to go before we got to go to break at the top of the hour. Homer, I don't know if they, this would be true or not, but I'm going to ask the question. Is there a contingency plan within NASA that, let's say we let, we go back onto the moon and there are extraterrestrial craft there or there are extraterrestrials walking along the moon? Is there contingency plans within NASA to deal with such situations? I, I really doubt it. I, again, what NASA will do for their astronauts is, okay, I mean, I don't know if you know, the, I'll, I'll give you some details. The whole idea, the way that we're going to land on the moon is actually using Elon's SpaceX Starship. We're going to fly out to maybe we'll have something out there called the Gateway, maybe not. We're going to go out with the on SLS in the Orion spacecraft. So we're going to train the astronauts how to fly this thing. This is going to be a rough machine to fly on. SLS is just going to shake the bejesus out of these crew members. So we're really going to have to train them to to be able to. to I don't know if you've seen Top Gun Maverick where. They're just going through all these gyrations. These astronauts are going to get shaken up really, really bad. So we're going to have to train them well to take this rough ride. Um, once they get it, uh, get on the way to the moon, it'll all smooth out and everything, everything will be okay. But once they're up there, they're supposed to, meanwhile, we're going to fly the Starship up and the Starship will get refueled. And then it's going to go on up and the Orion is going to, Believe me, I, I think this is kind of a Rube Goldberg plan, but this is NASA. <laughs> so the astronauts are going to transfer from the Orion into the Starship, and then the Starship, this huge vehicle, I don't know if you've seen pictures of it, but it's just massive. It's going to land, and then the astronauts are going to have to get out and basically have an elevator that winches them down to the moon. So believe me, to train the astronauts to accomplish what they are going to do. That total focus is going to be how to make all of this work and just to sit yourself down on the moon and still be alive. So that's going to be our focus. Now, if they do see something, I don't think there's going to be a thing in the world. I mean, we're talking about the astronauts of today are, they grew up in the 2000s. 
believe me, nobody's going to shut them up. If they see something, they're going to report it. So that's going to be exciting uh, right there. But there's just going to be so many exciting things to see and do on the moon. So really looking forward to it. I would I would assume that there would be some sort of plan. You know, the United States government does nothing without a contingency plan on something. That's just the way I look at well, it. There's a lot of contingency plans for failure, needless to say, and uh, redundancy and so on. But um, so um, and, and, you know, most of the uh, the astronauts, uh, they're extremely motivated uh, young people. They're extremely bright. They are all totally aware of UFOs and um, all of the sightings. And so believe me, they, they, you don't have to, if I was going to train one, I, I wouldn't suppose that they don't know anything about it. I would, um, I would start from the standpoint that they know an awful lot about it because they are, they're people who are very interested in things. And they're, I, I would imagine there are a number of astronauts that are part of your audience. They, they're, they're intrigued by this and they want to know more. And so in terms of contingencies, uh, do you think that uh, I, uh, I would have been as a trainer, I would tell them, if you see something, don't talk about it. I don't think I'd get very far with them, frankly, if I said that. I, I think that I think that they would not respect me at all if I said that. I think that they would expect me to expect them to use their judgment, that whatever they saw, they may not want to make an air to ground call on it. They may think the best thing to do is to just record it and bring it back. But I think that we would allow them to make that judgment for themselves. Well, we'll soon see. I know I have, as we've got about three minutes here, I have talked to one astronaut who is in his, in his words, hopefully slated to be one of the first rockets going to Mars. And what he told me was, you know, they they have to land on the moon and then they literally NASA will have to build, as funny as this sounds, a gas station that that floats between the moon and Mars in order to refuel the rocket in order to get there. Now, they could use uh, some kind of fusion and I forget what he called it, well, but it would jettison know, is, the rocket right past Mars. If yeah, I mean, Dave, this is this is the turn and burn attitude <laughs> that I actually try to slow down. It's like, okay, look, we've got a little mini planets, one third the size of the Earth, only two hundred and forty thousand miles away. We need to develop that. We need to live on that. We need to use its resources. Mars will wait for another day. I think it would be a big mistake for us to go to Mars using chemical rockets. I don't see how it would help us at all to send astronauts out there on a eight to 10 month one way trip out there. And then they do uh, uh, boot prints on Mars and then come back. I think then we've got the Apollo program all over again, uh, flags and footprints. I think we need to wait till we develop advanced propulsion systems. And that's one of the things that I really uh, strongly have recommended to Marshall Space Flight Center here who developed the Saturn V and now the SLS that they should now put that aside and get going on advanced propulsion so that we don't have to do these crazy things like a gas station on the way and so on. We do use nuclear uh, propulsion or fusion propulsion, whatever whatever it is, in order so we can zip right on out there and get this thing done. So I, I'm not one 
that believes that we should use resources for chemical rockets to take astronauts to the moon. The robots are doing just fine. Let's develop, or, or Mars, let's develop the moon. And then at, at that same time, and I do think there's a lot to see on Mars. I am very intrigued by it. As you know, I'm really, um, I really have been involved with paleontology for the last 20-some years. I go out in Montana every year and uh, hunt the wily dinosaurs out there. And what I'm seeing on Mars looks an awful lot like the Badlands of Montana where I look for dinosaurs. Not that I expect to find dinosaur bones on Mars, don't get me wrong, but clearly there has been flowing water, lots of flowing water on Mars. Uh, so the possibilities of at least life at one time uh, is, to my mind, is very, very high. And it's worth looking at. And yes, robots don't do that great a job of looking for signs of life. That's going to take astronauts. Homer Hickam, award-winning author, best-selling author. The story behind October Sky, the Hollywood movie. We will return to talk more NASA, space, Mars, the moon, the Van Allen belt. And more on Spaced Out Radio, hour number two next. That was a fun half hour. <laughs> Very fun. Well, thank you. It was fun. I do love talking about that. I really do. And I, know I am you intrigued do. By, by looking at Mars. Um, I, I do see the same, a lot of the same geology that I see out in Montana. I'm going to run quickly, check on my boy again. I'll be back. Okay. Uh, you know, he wasn't right. sleeping the last time, so I will be right back. Uh-oh. I'm going to put you back in the green room. And uh, sorry, guys, I'll be right back here.
Sorry about that, Homer. All right. My little guy has a day off tomorrow, so he uh, he's all pumped that he's going over to his buddy's house for the day. Great. So then he has a four-hour drive, did you say? Yeah, on Saturday morning. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, that should be fun. You put on XM radio and... Just cruise away. Cruise on down cruise the road. Down. Yeah, I get that. I get that. All right. Um, let's see here. Thank you so much okay. to Simon, W. Decker, and Vaughn for the super chats tonight. Yes, Homer. No, I was going to say, uh, do you want do you want to hear about the supernatural experience that I had in August? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Let me know when you want to hear it. I will tell it. All right. Here we go. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears. Wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America. Digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Ubicity. Ubicity is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with former NASA engineer, the man behind the movie October Sky, Homer Hickam is with us. You can find any of his books at any major bookstore or online. Homer, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We very much appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me. Now you it's always may, a lot of fun. You may not believe that NASA knows about aliens, but you've had some weird <laughs> stuff happen to yourself here recently. Yes. Yes, I wanted to relate this story to you, Dave, and your audience. Um, you know, I'm one of these guys that uh, kind of thinks they're invulnerable, and um, I've watched the COVID pandemic uh, uh, get a lot of my friends and uh, and family and so on. But um, I didn't. I, I I so far had avoided it. Last summer, however, I went out. Uh, I was talking about going out to Montana. I go out every year. I've done this for twenty some years uh, and and hunt uh, hunt dinosaurs. Um, I do that through. Uh, Montana State, the Museum of the Rockies, University of Washington, and we've had a great success. But that's not the point of my story. My uh, Montana was kind of COVID central when I went out there, and um, uh, uh, we'd go through Bozeman, and they were having uh, a, a pretty pretty bad uh, epidemic of COVID. But somehow I got through Montana, I got on out to the Badlands, and uh, got back to Huntsville, and no COVID, it's all good. Uh, so then I go up to West Virginia 
which is the second COVID central that I went to. And there they were doing Rocket Boys the Musical. The Theater West Virginia does the Rocket Boys the Musical every year. And uh, so I went up there to support that. And um, about half the cast was down with COVID. So um, they were, you know, it, I, uh, they want to meet me. They want to shake my hand. They want to hug me. The girls want to kiss me, all this kind of thing. And it's like, okay, they've taken off their mask and everything to make this happen. <laughs> I turned to my publicist, Burke Allen. And I said, Burke, you know, this is going to be a real test to see whether I, I, I can catch COVID. Well, guess what? I got COVID. I got it really, really bad uh, when I got back home uh, in about five days. Bam! I had this awful thing. And um, it. Uh, I had scarlet fever when I was a kid. And so my throat is very sensitive. And it- Meet Extended Stay America Select Suites, a new place like home with spacious apartment-style suites and full kitchens. With Extended Stay America Select Suites, you get real, simple value. The longer you stay, the more you save. Learn more at ESA.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Gets, if there's probably low bacteria lives in there all the time. <laughs> but as soon as, as my uh, immunity kind of goes down, I get attacked in the throat. So I got attacked in the throat. So my throat is so sore that I can't for, and of course I get COVID on Friday. I can't get to a doctor till Monday. Everybody's closed up. So we're just going to have to suffer through the weekend, Linda. That's it. I'm going to have to suffer through the weekend. So I couldn't drink. I couldn't eat because of this awful sore throat. So totally swollen. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do anything. So in the middle of night on Sunday night, it's like, I'm dying here. I'm lying in in bed and it's like, I've got to get something. I've got to get some fluids. I'm totally dehydrated. So I got up and went into the kitchen in the dark and um, I was going to make some chai tea and I opened up the cabinet and I reached in there at random and I took out a cup and I passed out and I woke up on the floor and Linda's going, oh my God, oh my God, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm okay, you know, and um, so um, I didn't get my cup of chai. I basically crawled, (laughs) crawled back to bed. I laid my head down and something crossed my eyes. It was the deepest, darkest, and I've been in coal mines with the lights out. This was the deepest, darkest black that ever crossed in front of my eyes. And I heard without hearing, you have nothing to fear. And believe me, if I had died at that moment, I would have died happy. I felt at total peace with the universe at that moment i had something reached out and touched me and so i like to witness that to people i don't know not going to say it's god Uh, i don't know what it was but something i connected with the universe at that moment i've told this story over at space camp they all look at me like oh homer has finally gone over the deep (laughs) but i like to witness that now so what cup did i break I broke the cup that Elon Musk gave to me. 
my, and I love that cup. It had the SpaceX logo on it and everything. And Elon himself had handed me and given me that cup when I was uh, out in Hawthorne, California. And that just broke my heart. So I put it out on Twitter and I put it out on Facebook, you know, that I didn't put out the, uh, you have nothing to fear, but I did put out that I had broken Elon's cup. And so five days later, I received this huge box loaded with SpaceX swag and hundreds of signatures on a card from SpaceX employees, including in there four, <laughs> four huge SpaceX cups. So I think that I have been touched not only by the supernatural in a very, very positive way, but maybe by uh, Mr. Musk and his SpaceX crew. So that's my story. That, that is actually trip. very cool. You know, there is talk, and I and I know people who have talked to Elon Musk who have said that he has been read in about UFOs. He just is not allowed to say anything publicly. Well, if anybody is, I would say Elon probably is. In the first place, Elon has become the SpaceX company. It's not the only one, by the way. Blue Origin's coming along. I don't want to slight any of the other uh, aerospace companies, but SpaceX has become extremely important uh, to uh, the United States, uh, not only to NASA, but the Department of Defense. Uh, you may be may notice that, that SpaceX, uh, ULA, the United Launch Alliance, has been the principal provider of, uh, of the rockets to carry Department of Defense uh, satellites into orbit and beyond. Uh, but SpaceX is coming on strong because um, they're, they're very reliable and, and, um, and not that expensive. So Department of Defense is using SpaceX an awful lot. And it's almost like Elon's given that to them. Nobody, NASA was the one that provided money to Elon to develop the Falcon 9. The Department of Defense didn't do that. So all of a sudden, because of what NASA did and what Elon had uh, and his people had the courage to do, they have created now a launcher that is the, the uh, very inexpensive uh, to, to use. So uh, a Department of Defense is stepping up big time to use that. So if anybody's going to be read in on anything like that, that if anything is going to, to cause a problem with launching these satellites, um, I'd say Elon is probably the person that would know. There is still quite an argument uh, about the Van Allen belt. And whether or not, you know, I mean, there's still people who deny that we went to the moon in the first place or that we've sent astronauts past the Van Allen belt. You know, is the Van Allen belt still a continued worry or stress to get back to the moon? Well, you wouldn't necessarily want to go up and hang out in it for a while. But no, I mean, uh, for Apollo, they just zipped right through it. I mean, you're just within it for a few minutes as you zip on out to the moon. Um, I mean, there's always uh, in space, there's always radiation, there's background radiation, but um, and there's cosmic rays. So, I mean, there is a limit to how much uh, time astronauts can spend just in, in low Earth orbit, for that matter, uh, and that's below the Van Allen belt. So they actually have dosimeters that they wear that is measured uh, how much radiation they're receiving. And quite often um, the female astronauts are counseled, uh, you know what, um, you have, if you want to have a family, you probably shouldn't fly again. So uh, NASA does 
keep up with that. But I don't think the Van Allen belts per se are a problem. Now, radiation is a problem throughout space. It's a problem on the moon. If we're going to build uh, outposts on the moon, most likely uh, we're going to have to build them underground uh, or in, in lava tubes, or we're going to have to pile the regolith on top of our modules. They just can't be out there in the open because there's dangerous radiation. Um, I mean, there are storms on the sun that sends dangerous radiation that could kill uh, astronauts on the moon. Uh, so, um, and, and of course, going on to Mars, uh, I mean, again, that's why I don't like chemical rockets to go to Mars. You don't want to be out there for eight, 10 months uh, receiving all that radiation. It's not that it's going to kill you necessarily, but it's definitely going to up your percentage on the likelihood of getting cancer uh, during your lifetime. But I also have to say that NASA has been working on a number of different um, alloys and and um, uh, engineering concepts that they can come up with to to diminish the amount of radiation that these uh, astronauts would receive on the way to Mars, if that's the way they end up deciding to do it. But again, I hope that they build uh, nuclear rocket engines that will allow us to zip on out to Mars, you know, with uh, about like we zip on out to the moon. And then um, and then uh, probably if you're going to live on Mars for any time, again, you're going to have to be in some sort of shelter. You can't just be walking around on the Mars uh, on Mars all the time because it's, it's dangerous in terms of radiation and cosmic rays. Question from Vaughn here up in Edmonton, Alberta. He is asking, why were the astronauts not fried in space by the radiation? Well, again, uh, they do have dosimeters and they do receive radiation, but we all receive radiation. <laughs> you know, here on Earth, we receive radiation. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but coal is actually radioactive. So there's a very high incidence of, um, of, of people who live in coal towns like me, who came down with colon cancer. My dad had colon cancer. My mother had colon cancer. All my uncles had colon cancer. And I had colon cancer. So background radiation is everywhere. It's not just out in space. So, yeah, you do receive a little bit higher out there. Uh, but it's it's within tolerance. Okay. So if the Van Allen belt isn't the issue that many amateur scientists or people of interest uh, have in common – how do we land a rocket on the moon? Are we going to do it with the same type of rockets that could land themselves? Well, it will definitely be automated compared to the limb. And the limb in the Apollo era were, were basically, um, you, know, you were flying by wire. You were, the Neil Armstrong had to turn the computer off and basically land the Apollo 11 limb himself. Uh, so that's not going to be possible with this great big starship. It is, you're way too high. Um, to uh, it, it'll be like the the Falcon Nine boosters land now. It's all very going to be very very automated. So uh, computers are going to have to take over that chore. I fear. I fear. Anyway, I don't really fear it. I think it's great that that we do have now the computer systems that allow us to do that. Uh, to do that. Okay. So in order to set up the moon, I mean, we're going to have to send hundreds of people up there. I mean, that's a lot of rockets. Are, are we going to be doing multiple rockets at once in order to get not only the materials up there to build, but but in order to have the people there in order to create the infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, uh, we will, and we. but it's got to be worthwhile. We just, to go do that for science and inspiration, I don't think we're going to be allowed to do that. Now, 
I, let me let me couch that in, also by talking about the South Pole Station, the National Science, Science Foundation's South Pole Station. We have been expending billions of dollars building that base, C-130 flights, hundreds of them flying down there, carrying all this cargo and equipment, all these people down there. So we have done that. And we have done it basically just most people don't even know, <laughs> aren't aware that we have this uh, huge base uh, on the South Pole. We have done that over the years. And why have we done that? Mostly it actually is for science. Uh, but uh, for the moon, I'm not don't think we can quite get away for a number of reasons just doing it for science. It's just too visible and it's too controversial. So I think there has to be a reason to do this. Now, right now, NASA with the Artemis program, they don't have much of a plan, in my opinion. They're going to go up there and land. They're going to walk around. Uh, they do, they'll do some science, uh, but there is no plan right now to build a, a base or a laboratory, or and that's what I push for. That's why I say not only do you have to figure out how to go to the moon, but you have to figure out why. We're going to go up there. We're going to build something like the South Pole Station uh, that we can sortie from. And then who's going to sortie from? Not necessarily NASA, but commercial companies will sortie from this. It, this is what I'm pushing for, that NASA will build this base uh, down in the South Pole, where we think that there's water, ice, and uh, there's my there's my supernatural friend, uh, my science cat, morning <laughs> in on here. But um, so we're going to go. We will do that. But then commercial corporations, co- other countries can use the base that we build, and then they will sort it out and start looking and and gathering in these resources, whether it's helium three, whether it's rare earth materials, titanium. Um, whatever it may be, thorium, the moon is loaded with thorium and thorium reactors. That's a great reactor. Um, they're very powerful and very clean. So there's going to be all kinds of reasons to do it if NASA has the foresight uh, and, and not only NASA, but ESA and the Canadian Space Agency. All of these people who have signed the Artemis Accords have the foresight not just to go up there and walk around and bring back moon rocks. We've got plenty of moon rocks, but to actually build something there that will be a base from which anybody that wants to, that can get there, can sort out and start exploring the moon and start using its resources and bringing back wealth to the earth. Because that's the only way we're ever, in my opinion, ever going to have humanity in space is that it, it bring, starts bringing wealth back. Just like the reason that the Europeans settled the, the, the new world. It wasn't because they were doing it for, oh, my goodness, let's explore and it'll be great. It's because they started bringing back wealth. And that's that's the way that we will go into, in my opinion, that's the what that's what that's the reason why we need to go. And that's why NASA needs to figure out to do that. We've got to build a base. So, yes, it's going to take a lot of rockets, but it's with the promise, Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer, Europeans, Canadians, Americans, whoever is part of the Artemis program. It's with the promise we're spending all this money and doing all of this work. And also we're going to lose lives in the process of doing this. It's so that we can bring back resources to a very needy earth. How many lives do you think this is going to cost? Well, I uh, <laughs> I don't know, um, and I'm sorry, uh, I don't mean to chuckle over that, but it's just like 
gosh, who knows? I mean, um, if we look what it took to to settle the Americas, uh, what how many lives were lost there? And so, uh, what I, I, I think the real question is what's acceptable. And so, I, uh, if we had lost um, a crew on the moon during the Apollo era, that would have been totally, utterly unacceptable. And that's one of the reasons we stopped going because they were afraid they were going to do that. But if we couch the Artemis program in such a way that we're doing this, like it's, it's a substitute for war, if you will, we're doing this great grand thing in, in order that life on earth is better. How many lives is worth it for us to do that. Uh, I do. I think we will lose, you know, just like coal miners, how many, how many lives were lost uh, digging up coal. Um, it's because our civilization was desperate for it. It needed it. That's why we were willing to send men underground and watch a, a certain percentage of them die. It's because we needed for them to uh, expend their lives for the, bet- the betterment of civilization. So again, that is, that's what our politicians have to do. That's what our astronauts have to do. That's what all of us in, in this space business have to do is to, is to talk about why we're going and what we're going to do and why it's so important. And again, science is important, inspiration is important, but ultimately what's really important is bringing wealth back to Earth. We got about three minutes to go before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour. Homer Hickam is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Is it necessary? Do we need, as humanity, to be doing this? We could probably not do it, um, but we would regret it uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, One. We are very close uh, to fusion reactors. And again, I come back to the fact that um, the moon is covered with helium-3, which probably is going to be a very good fuel for uh, for fusion. Let's say that we don't and that we become insular, insular like China did uh, a thousand years ago. They stopped going out. The Chinese did. They lived to regret it. Um, uh, they had, um, you know, the Europeans and others come in and conquer their country because it, uh, even the Japanese, because they, they simply stopped going out and stopped discovering. And uh, so even though they were just leagues ahead of everybody else when they stopped. So I don't think uh, that we, we dare stop, but I can see the scenario where we would. And I, I think as a planet, as a people, we would be very sorry for it. That's interesting. That is very interesting. I mean, I understand humanity's curiosity. We love to explore. We love to be curious. We love to to uh, go places where we're not supposed to go. And I can understand wanting to go into space. I think all you have to do is look up at the at the beauty. If you get out of the cities now, you just have to look up at the beauty of of the stars. I mean, where I live on a on a moonless night, there's hundreds of thousands of stars all over the sky and and if i'm real lucky i get a beautiful view of uh, the milky way as well and it always piques my curiosity you know uh, that childhood curiosity of what else is up there 
What else could be hiding up there that we just have no clue about? I mean, do you believe then, with uh, with a minute to go here, with all of this, uh, the planets that have been discovered over the last decade, do you believe there is life out there in some of these Goldilocks zones that we hear of? Oh, absolutely. I mean, mathematically, it has to be, right? And, and um, in the early 1990s, before the Hubble was launched, we had no idea how many uh, actual galaxies there were. They're in the order of billions. So there's no question there's life. Whether there's life like ours or not, that's probably the real question. Is there life that, that would also want to be looking out and also be moving out like us? There's something that's just built into us. I mean, we look at this, we look at the planets, we look at our galaxy, we look at the Milky Way, and we see beauty. There's no reason why that's true, but it is. So since it is, we want to we want to see more of it. If it was ugly, we wouldn't even look. So again, that gets a little bit philosophical. Very true. But, uh, I think that same black shade that crossed my eyes last August, we have nothing to fear. Homer Hickam. Award-winning author, best-selling author, former NASA engineer. We got him until the top of the hour here on Spaced Out Radio. We will return right after this. This has been a great show so far. (laughs) Well, I've enjoyed it. I'm glad that Wyatt, my Siamese cat, got a... uh, a little bit of a, a view here. He, he wanted to come up and see who I was talking to. So he looked at you and Perfect. ran away for some reason. I don't know why. But <laughs> I wonder why. Thanks, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he's a cutie. We love our Wyatt. So I know many of you have been asking. Here is a photo from today of my, my new grandson. Oh, cool. Wow. Yep, that's my boy today, one day old. Have you named him yet? Uh, his name is Jasper. He was six pounds. I like that. Fourteen or uh, six pounds four ounces. He was a couple weeks early, but he was very healthy, and he's got great, great lungs on him. And uh, uh, I kind of like him. I can't wait to meet him. Yeah, he's going to be a cool kid. I like his name, Jasper. That's almost Homer. Um, so, uh, yeah, that that is really really cool. You know, when I when I worked uh, for NASA, I was actually in a branch that had eighty percent women because um, the astronauts respond better to actually being trained by women. It's like the uh, voices in the cockpit of the uh, aircraft. Mm-hmm. If you have an emergency, they use the women's voices for that. So 80% of the training people were women. Uh, a reason I bring that up is because so when uh, our women got pregnant and had to go on maternity leave, they wanted to stay out longer than than the 30 days at that time they got uh, for all leave. But you could um, you could ask somebody to give leave. And so I had tons of leave built up. I, you know. Um, 
Meet Extended Stay America Select Suites, a new place like home with spacious apartment-style suites and full kitchens. With Extended Stay America Select Suites, you get real, simple value. The longer you stay, the more you save. Learn more at ESA.com. It said we make 35,000 decisions a day. No wonder they don't all come out just right. Like when you pre-ordered those fresh sneakers, that dropped right when you repaid your friend for lunch. It happens. But overdrafts don't have to. Get extra time to cover your overdraft with Citizens Peace of Mind, so you can relax in those sweet kicks and focus on your next 34,999 decisions. Learn more about how to reverse your overdraft fees at citizensbank.com slash peace of mind. Citizens, made ready. Member FDIC. And so I, I gave, uh, I, uh, I guess, maybe five women. I said, you know what? I'll give you 30 days if you'll name, if, you're, if your baby's a boy, if you name him Homer. I never got taken up on that. <laughs> not once. <laughs> so it's not a bad name, you know. But I like Jasper. Jasper's better. Yeah, it's a badass name. It really is. I I kind of like him. I cannot wait to meet him on the weekend. And That's terrific. Yeah, and uh, the cutest thing happened this morning. Uh, my son was getting ready for school because up, up here it's, you know, just a regular day. It's not Thanksgiving. Our Thanksgiving was in October. And right. um, so he's eating his cereal this morning, and he pauses and he stops, and he's like, Daddy. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, would it be okay if I, uh, if I told my class today that I'm now an uncle? And, and I went... <laughs> And I, wow. I just smiled. That's exciting. I just smiled and I was like, of course, dude, you know, <laughs> of course you're allowed. Of course. That's exciting. Yeah. Wow. How old is he? He's nine. How old's your boy? He's nine. We're, we're, nine. A, we're so, a blended family. So see that, see, see yeah. what's that logo right there. I'm pointing at. Yeah. He's about <laughs> old. Know. Give him another year. He needs to go to space camp. I know. All right. I know. I, I think he would be great for that, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love it. It'd be great. I mean, everybody does once they're here. And there's a number of scholarships uh, around. We have a Paco Pickham scholarship named after my cat Paco, the first cat to meow in space. Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah. Your Paco cat- meowed to a lonely astronaut. And um, he was the first cat sounds ever to be heard in space was Paco. How did you manage that? Well, um, I, I write about that a little bit in Don't Blow Yourself Up. Um, so we had an astronaut who um, was always on the outs with their crew. They, for some reason, they just didn't really click with them. And I liked her. She was a great, great uh, lady. Very, very sharp. And she she would often come here and, um, and, and, and be here uh, in my house, this very house that I'm in. And um, she loved cats, and she especially loved Paco, who was a black and white tuxedo cat, very demonstrative, very loving. And so while she was in orbit, the word I got back from um, the docs down at JSC was that um, she was uh, a little bit space sick. And the, the reason that she was was because she had agreed to do this experiment called autogenic feedback. She didn't take the, the seasick pills that that uh, most of them take to avoid um, this space adaptation syndrome. She was trying to use autogenic feedback to honor this principal investigator who had this uh, experiment on board. 
And so it wasn't really working very well. We, not, none of us expected it to work, but, and she was sick. And so uh, I hate, I hate I, to, I hate to cut the story right there, but we're on in like three okay. seconds. Sorry about okay. that. That's all right. the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, best-selling author, former NASA engineer, Vietnam veteran Homer Hickam is with us tonight, and we are really enjoying the show, talking about everything to do with space. And Homer, I got a couple of questions from our audience that I would love to ask you, if you don't mind. No, great. All right, let's get to it. Eddie is asking, Homer, is there any possibility that the moon may be hollow? I don't think the moon is hollow. Um, We actually have slammed a number of rockets into the moon, and um, the moon geologists, um, I guess they're lunaologists, uh, have measured, um, uh, you know, it basically rang the moon's bell. And if it had been hollow, I think that they would uh, they would have remarked on that. They haven't. Uh, we don't know. However, the density of the moon is um, is, is a question. It, I think it's it's quite dense. It certainly isn't hollow. Uh, but there are a number of very, very oddly dense places on the moon that affects uh, the the gravitation uh, of the moon. Uh, that's something that we found out in the Apollo program. So what those things are, we don't really know. Uh, probably asteroids, great big iron asteroids that have struck the moon and um, caused uh, uh, these very, very dense uh, areas. But we don't really know. It's one of the reasons we need to go go look at it. Very cool. All right, let's move on to another question from Lurksalot. Wouldn't taking weight, why, uh, why mining change? Sorry. Wouldn't taking weight, why mining change its orbit? Wouldn't mining change its orbit and screw with us here on the moon? So basically asking uh, if the moon. Yeah, it, well, you know, I mean, you, you, you'd think that that's, that I would think that's a silly question, but I don't really, I get it. We're going to be actually taking well, probably millions of tons ultimately off the moon. I don't think it'll affect it at all because the moon is, is really, so remember it's one third the size of this planet. It's a big uh, planet. Uh, so I don't think that's going to affect it very much. Remember we're, we, we are, there's, there's things coming in all the time that are still hitting the moon. So the moon is accumulating comets and so on. So, so as fast as we take it off, probably more is going to be coming in. Just like here on Earth, we we take all the coal out, out of the Earth, for instance, and burn it, turn it into a gas. 
but um, we have materials coming in from space all the time, I think. So I'm not worried about that. Okay. So if you're not worried about it, you know, how do, how do we, <laughs> you know, how do we get there? How do, how do we do it? How do we make it happen so that way we are safe and that way we're not messing with the, uh, the oceans or the moon's gravitational pull? Yeah, I, again, um, I don't have that data right in front of me, but the, both the Earth and the moon are so, so huge. I don't think that anything that we do is going to, to cause any problem with their, with their orbits. Um, it, it would take some major blasting, and I don't see that, to, to make the moon. Uh, I mean, the moon's always moving out, by the way. It moves out uh, a few inches every year. It's always moving away from us, uh, which is really going to change things here on Earth about a million years from now when we, we won't be around. You might be, Dave, but I won't be around to, to, uh, to see that. So, no, I don't think that's a, a really big concern. Okay. Let's move on to uh, that's that's far from my area of expertise. I have to say, <laughs> so. Midwest Night Watchers is asking: Are they adding more capsules to the space station for pharmaceutical research? Well, not specifically for pharmaceutical research. Um, what we see, what we're seeing right now is that uh, we may see some um, modules being attached that are commercial. Uh, I think there's a corporation called Axiom that may be attaching another laboratory to the space station, or they may decide just to build their own space station. Don't know that it's particularly for pharmaceuticals. Uh, One of the, uh, again, that gets back to microgravity, and that's one of the areas that NASA really has focused on and definitely focused on during the shuttle um, space lab and now the space station arena is microgravity. Again, with material sciences or protein crystal growth or life sciences, whatever it may be, how does microgravity uh, affect that? And that, to me, that's always interesting, but that's not the reason that we're there, uh, in my opinion. And I, I think there's been way too much focus over, the, over all these decades on microgravity. Personally, I'd like to get rid of microgravity. I'd like to see some artificial gravity uh, again, that's where Von Braun, with his idea of having a spinning wheel up there for a space station, and it, it, it very slowly goes around, and centripetal force gives you uh, a, a artificial gravity that you could walk, you know, walk uh, around the, the outside of the ring and build your offices and labs and everything that way. But NASA has never really been very much interested in any kind of artificial gravity. And I've always been disappointed in that. There was actually going to be a centrifuge, a large centrifuge on the space station, but that was ultimately canceled. So we really don't know yet how to add artificial gravity to our spacecraft. And I think that we should. All right. Another question coming in. This one is from Tony in the UK. Homer, astronomers have seen lights doing intelligent maneuvers on the moon. Who or what are they? Lights on the moon? Um, yeah. I mean, actually, in um, I, I wrote this series of novels, the Crater series, there's the cover, um, in the second of that trilogy called Crescent, um, my heroes 
uh, are wondering about those lights on the moon. And there are lights on the moon, and they are a bit unexplained. We don't know why they're there, uh, but uh, there have been some explanations that it is a natural process that is causing flares, like um, like the or- there's organics in the moon, and the pressure of those organics have every once in a while actually causes a flare to occur. So there are some explanations out there as to uh, what they are. Um, in, in, in my novel, what I have, is, I mean, again, the moon is covered with uh, helium-3, which is a, an isotope that under pressure might also cause a flare. And so that's, that's that's one of the plot devices that I use in 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 that novel, but yeah, we don't really know. It's a it's a good question. Uh, absolutely great, absolutely great. All right, let's get to another question here from Vash the Impaler. What is the main focus on Mars? Should we not focus on the Moon first? Yes, and that's my whole point. That's my constant argument with the National Space Council and with NASA. We do need to focus on the moon. This idea of turn and burn, uh, I think, is ludicrous. That we're just going to use the moon as a staging area to learn how to go to Mars. That's ludicrous, in my opinion. The moon is just way too important. Uh, it is our eighth continent. Uh, we have seven continents here on Earth, and the moon is our eighth. It was carved off by a huge Mars, uh, we think a Mars-sized planet that hit it billions of years ago. So the moon is part of the Earth. And it needs to be developed first. And uh, we can, I'm sorry, I'd love to have people wandering around Mars to tell me what's under some of those uh, river rocks. Honest to gosh, I really would. But I think in terms of our capability right now and the importance to the Earth, we should develop the moon thoroughly before we even think about sending uh, people to Mars. Now, this is not to say Elon can't do it. Elon, I think if he wants to go to Mars, more go for it elon because it's your money <laughs> you're spending it if you want to go there i'll even go with you <laughs> so so i'm all for it but in terms of our government and what it spends its money on and its focus i think it needs to focus on the moon okay and is there enough money to get there to do what we need to do oh gosh yes Fire up the printing presses. (laughs) There is plenty of money to go. I mean, you look at the money that the federal government spent. NASA gets one, one and a half percent of the federal budget. Just one point five percent of the federal budget. It's tiny, 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 tiny. Um, We actually the the um, Department of Labor gets about the same amount of money that NASA gets. What does the Department of Labor do? I have no clue. So, no, there is plenty of money to go around. And it can carve a little bit off of the Department of Defense. And so, no, that's, that is, a, to, to my mind, um, that is not a valid argument that we don't have enough money. We have enough money. I mean, honest to gosh, we actually, ha- we should. It's very important that we go out to the moon. It's very important, in my opinion, we go on to Mars and do these other things. And we have plenty of money to do it. We just have the have to have the will to do it, uh, that we see that it's worth spending our money for, and um, kind of educate some of these Congress critters and presidents and so on that how important it is. And that's, you know, that's part of my job. That's, that's why I write, and, and um, that's why uh, I will continue to to voice my opinion that um, 
that this is in, this going into space is so very important um, to our civilization and to uh, the humankind uh, in total. You know, there are so many countries out there that cannot afford this. I mean, who, besides China, the U.S., and probably Russia, I know another a number of other countries are are starting to move towards space, India, Japan, just to name a couple. You know, is this an individual country's process to get up there, or are we going to have to team up as humanity in general to make things happen? Because the way the world's tension is right now, I can't see this being any good for space exploration. Well, it's better if we team up, and if we go, we should take everybody with us. That's my opinion. Um, so, uh, some some child in Colombia or Argentina or or Vietnam or wherever that that wants to be part of this great adventure should be part of this great adventure. And that's that's one of the things I'll give Bill Nelson credit for this, and that is the uh, Artemis Accords. He has um, continued with that, and uh, we have. Uh, uh, many, many nations that have signed on to the Artemis Accords. Um, and, and so they're going to be part of, part of this. Now, how it's all going to actually occur, uh, how we'll bring them along, I really, really can't say. This little area right there, that space camp we're looking at, that, that to my mind is part of I'm on the board at space camp here in Huntsville, Alabama, and we have thousands of students that go through every year, and they're, they're not just Americans. By far, we have just they're from all over the world, including teachers and so on. So it's not really fair, in my opinion, for us to inspire and educate these children about going into space without giving them the means to do so. So that, to my mind, is I mean, we today's Thanksgiving uh, for the United States, and we have had many, many blessings. Here's uh, Wyatt. He's my blessing. We have many, many blessings, and one of them, we have been endowed with a great deal of wealth, and uh, we waste a lot of that, and we, we should take it upon ourselves to, that's one of the things that we should do, is that we have a responsibility, we've been given this wealth, we work for it, don't get me wrong, but we do have it, and we should have the responsibility now that if we're going out into space to take the whole world with us and not be selfish with it at all. But humanity is selfish. That's the problem. Well, we can be selfish. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but, but I think every country in the world should think larger than that and, and not be selfish. And so that's one of the things that, you know, that's part of education. That's part of civilization is that as a civilization, we really should not be selfish. And we need to we need to educate ourselves and every once in a while have some introspection uh, onto ourselves and say, you know, uh, I, how, how am I not being, being kind? And also, am I being selfish with what has been given to me? Can I give it back? And as a, as a human, every human that, that has been given um, and and I'm one of them. I've been I've been very blessed um, to have a very good life and um, to 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 have things. But I also have a responsibility uh, to my 
to people that that don't have that. And so one of one of the reasons I am on the board at Space Camp that, that is one way I'm able to give back. I, I'm not paid for anything, not paid anything to do that. I work really really hard um, for. Uh, for space camp. And um, I also just do whatever I can, but we all have to do that. But again, it's like, okay, people have to do that, but nations have to do that too. To be a great nation, you have to do great things. And so if we want to continue to be a great nation here, we need to start doing great things. And all of us do, and all countries do. And so we just need to join together. We can still be individual nations and, and, and all of that. That's great. But at the same time, we have a responsibility, in my mind, to each other. And space may be just the method to make that happen. That was Al Gore's idea to bring the Russians in on the International Space Station. It, it has worked out. I mean, here we are in the middle of this awful war in Ukraine. And, um, and, um, but yet we continue to cooperate on the International Space Station. So there's something to that. And... Um, and hopefully that will in some way bring humanity together as we all start moving out into space. Very interesting. You know, and, and I want to see it happen. Trust me. I do want to see it happen. I just don't know if it's going to be possible even in our lifetimes. You know, it's it's just it's tough. We're in a tough time right now. Well, you can, you can do it if you want to do it. I mean, that was a thing. I went over, uh, I, uh, I was on the team that, negotiated with the Russians uh, for the International Space Station. So I went over to Russia several times in the mid-1990s, and I'm a Cold Warrior. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I still carry steel in my leg, <laughs> shrapnel in my leg from Vietnam. Believe me, I'm a Cold Warrior. I've done it. Um, and so worked for the Army Missile Command. I, I was in Grafenwehr, uh, Germany, for several years. I you know, I was right there at the Fulda Gap where we expect the Russians to pour through. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a cold warrior. I did that. But when I got over to Russia, what did I find? I found people just like you and me. I found people who were struggling because the Soviet Union had fallen and the engineers that I was working with and the cosmonauts I were working with were struggling. There was no money. They were out on the streets selling, you know, the little trinkets that they had from some vacation that maybe down. Popeye's driver here with the shipment of the seasoning for our new blackened chicken sandwich. Do you copy? Copy that. Do you copy me? Copy that. I got paprika, cumin, and onion. Copy. Copy that. Salt, black pepper, white pepper. Copy that. Red pepper. Copy. Copy that. Almost forgot about garlic. Copy that. Do you think others will copy us? Copy. Copy that. I'm sure they'll try. Introducing the new blackened chicken sandwich. No breading, all flour. Flavor. Non-breaded and fried at participating U.S. restaurants. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. In the Black Sea or something. It was, it was, it, 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 my heart, all of our hearts went out to them. And yes, we negotiated very hard for them, uh, with them, and they negotiated back. But 
after that was over, we would go, and of course the vodka would <laughs> would come out. Uh, anytime you're with the Russians, the vodka always comes out, and and so we learned to really like each other and really work with each other, and that's why it has continued even in the midst of this awful war in Ukraine, uh, where the Russians, in my opinion, are at fault. Um, we continue to cooperate together because at that personal level, we like each other. And so we're going to do everything. NASA and the Russian space agency, the people in there are going to do everything they possibly can to keep the international space station going and that cooperation going. Well, I think it has to, I think it has to, I, you know, and we, we, we've even said to our audience here many a time, you know, like, like we can hear all the huffing and puffing in the mainstream media, but when it comes down to the real events that are going to affect the world, all of a sudden when it comes to space, we're all buddies, we're all friends, we're shaking hands, using the Russians' rockets. You know, like go back 10 years ago when we were using, you know, the Russian uh, shuttles to get up to the space station, I always thought it was funny that, you know, whoever the president was at that time was acting all tough with Russia. But in the meantime, the astronauts are going up on a Russian aircraft. You know, I always found yeah. that intriguing. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And, the, and we were all learning Russian. Uh, we had Russian classes before I went over to Russia. And the cosmonauts, I mean, the astronauts for years had to learn Russian in order to fly on the Soyuz. That was a requirement. Uh, so yeah, there are some very, very strong friendships. Um, but of course our governments want to, they quite often just want to pull that apart, but I think there is, hopefully we can, we can keep these friendships going. The international space station, of course, will end, um, probably, uh, 2029, 20, 2030. 20, and right now we have no plans to go with the Russians or anybody else anywhere, but well, except for the Artemis Accords. Uh, but that does not include the Russians or the Chinese. And so I think we need to rethink all that. And, um, I, you know, uh, as much as the, the the Russian government irritates me over Ukraine, uh, I think it would still be very, very wise for us to include them as much as we possibly can in our plans to go back to the moon and uh, and stay. I love it. I love it as we get better. Let's go to our audience here. We've got about two minutes left. This will be our final question of tonight. Grandizer down in Apache Junction, Arizona, is asking, Dr. Hickam, could you witness one space achievement in your lifetime? What would it be? Colonize the moon, Venus, rings of Saturn in detail, observe the Oort cloud in detail, other well, uh, again, I've been a big supporter over many, 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 many decades for a return to the moon. So I hope in my lifetime to see at least a lunar outpost there, a permanent lunar out outpost. It's recognized by um, our government and all government that this is a permanent outpost. And so I hope to see that in my lifetime. Oh, I, I just want aliens, man. I just want aliens. <laughs> well, um yeah, if we pick up a few aliens along the way, I won't argue with that, certainly. Uh, so, again, I mean, that's why, Dave, I love you and your audience, is that, um, I mean, I mean, I, I tend to come on and start talking engineering and, you know, the, the what we can do with what we got and that kind of thing. And you guys are going, okay, let's peel the onion back a little bit further. 
Um, is there something more than, than, than just going to the moon and bringing back resources, Homer? I don't really know. But I also love to think about that. And uh, we shall see. Uh, it would, uh, I, I mean, I'm as intrigued by it as anybody else. Well, you know what? It's been a slice tonight. It really has. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on Spaced Out Radio. And, you know, your accomplishments with NASA and your accomplishments with everything is absolutely incredible. And, Homer, uh, thank you so much for being a a listener and a fan of ours because I know you do enjoy the silliness of our topics that we get into from a different angle. I love it. And uh, do me a favor, please. Tell our audience how they can reach out to you, find your books. Yeah. Uh, well, Dave, I've got, we have a website, homerhickam.com. Uh, you have to know how to spell Hickam, H-I-C-K-A-M, homerhickam.com. And right now with the holidays coming up is a really good time to order a Homer Hickam book and uh, through through uh, our website, and I will autograph it, and I'll even inscribe it to your uh, Aunt Matilda or whoever you want. So go on out to homerhickam.com, and if you see a book out there, I've written 18 of them. Most people want to get Rocket Boys or a new one, uh, Don't Blow Yourself Up, or maybe Crater, that that Crater series. So go out there and have a look at our website, homerhickam.com. Thanks a lot. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. And coming up to kick off hour number three, Swamp Dweller's back with another spooky story. Then we have Super Duke coming in for the Cryptid Report. Then it's Dave 101 and Shirky Boo's News. Jam-packed, hour number three, next on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much, boss. Very Thank you for having me, Dave. It was I really, really enjoy it. And so anytime, just give me a call. Anytime. We love you, man. And thank you for being a fan and, and everything. That's a real honor for me. All right, buddy. I think we got a little action on Twitter tonight. So that's kind Good. of cool. Good. So all right, boss. All right. Take care. See you later. Yes, all sir. Right. Homer Hickam, everyone. You know, doesn't that just make you want to like rush over to Netflix or to uh to Amazon Prime and watch October Sky. I'm going to watch that this weekend. He's amazing. He's amazing. I'm going to go check on my boy, everyone. Uh, I'll be right back. And, uh, yeah, just stick around. we got lots of show left.
Got a couple minutes here. How awesome was that? How awesome was that? You know? Fantastic. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. Homer Hiccup is is a man of... uh, of uh, great wealth and knowledge and we're so glad to have him here on the show we really are we really are That was a lot of fun, man. That was a lot of fun. Jeff Steve Garvey, he'll hit a home run for you. How you doing, buddy? Hot Molly, welcome back. Actually, Hot to Molly. I get that. I get that. That makes me laugh. Lavira, how are you? Thanks for coming in. And Oob to Joe's Bane, you've got Rockets and Lubla. Magnolia, how you doing? That was a lot of fun, guys. A lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you to W Decker Times 2, Vaughn and Simon for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you to everyone who's given us a thumbs up. We're one away from 100. We'd love to crack the 100 mark if you don't mind. And if you're new, don't forget to hit subscribe, ring that bell, and say hello. Here we go, everyone. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Ubicity. Ubicity is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight as we head to the swamp 
A resident swamp dweller who kicks off hour number three of this show each and every night joins us for another spooky story. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. All right, here we go. Robert Winters was a 78-year-old experienced hunter who went missing in 1969. He disappeared in Sparks Lake, Oregon, while hunting with his three sons, also experienced hunters. They understood weather conditions weren't ideal for the higher elevation, so they agreed to set up base camp. When it came time to split up, they each claimed a certain area near camp. Again, they agreed to stay at a lower elevation only covering familiar territory. Though the men were separated for quite some time, they were never too far apart. A couple of hours later, each of the sons had returned to camp, but there was no sign of Robert. Initially, the brothers combed the area on foot, searching in and around where their father set up earlier that day. After nearly an hour of searching independently, they sought real help to locate their father. It was getting dark and the weather was only getting worse, so they were considerably scared. Eventually, over 60 searchers were assembled. Unfortunately, shortly after Robert went missing, the area experienced heavy snowfall and a snowstorm overtook the entire area. The only early discovery were some tracks in the snow. These tracks were at a higher elevation, traversing upwards, not in the same area or direction Robert would likely have been in. They were later determined not to be his footprints. Roughly nine months after Robert's disappearance, searchers discovered some of his belongings near the area he vanished. All of the items looked to have been carefully removed. There was no shredding, tearing, or ripping involved. No blood either. Just one singular hiking boot, a single glove, a pair of glasses, and Robert's gun. All near the base of a tree. In addition to the nearly perfect condition of these belongings, the fact that there was no blood, no bones, or any real signs of death, well, it was quite simply puzzling. Had Robert simply passed away from the elements? If so, they would expect to find some sort of DNA at or around the scene. Deputies Mel Newhouse and Norman Thrasher were present at the discovery and described the scene as very odd as not one single bone or bone fragment has ever been recovered despite an extremely detailed search. Robert had just up and vanished, and the only clues left behind were an assortment of things he had on the day he disappeared. After so much time has passed and under such grueling conditions, there was no way Robert could still be alive. Though his body was never discovered, the coroner signed his death certificate in the same year they found his belongings. This meant he was now legally deceased and his family could move forward with funeral arrangements. One year later, Robert's dentures were found in the same area his clothing and gun were previously located. No new discoveries have been reported since, and Robert Winter's case remains a mystery, not only for his family and locals in the area, but also for investigators, hunters, and outdoorsmen alike. What do you think happened to Robert Winters? I don't know, but all these missing people... 
that just vanish and disappear always intrigues me. And we say thank you to Swamp Dweller for bringing that to us tonight. Once again, you can hear Swamp Dweller here on Spaced Out Radio to kick off hour number three each and every night, Monday through Friday. And we love it. If you want to go and check out more, he's got thousands of stories, literally thousands, at youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads. And all you got to do is hit subscribe on his channel. It's coming up to 300,000 subscribers and growing. So make sure you get on there today. Speaking of growing, we bring in the man, the myth, the legend. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is here for the Cryptid Report. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio has returned with an abbreviated cryptid report tonight. Duke, it's always a pleasure to have you here, my man. I always wanted to be here. And if anybody just strolls up to you on the street someday, Dave, and says, Dave, what do you think the ubicity of Sasquatch is? You may with great certainty tell them its ubicity is ubiquitous. Anyway, with that out of the way. Appreciate I was uh, digging around on some of my video from uh, September last night and uh, doing some previous work for an upcoming show and haven't got the guest on to record uh, what, you know, what all happened yet, but I got the video from it. And uh, there was a piece of video where I went and walked up the, as uh, Michael, my research assistant, dubbed it, the Magical Hidden Stream. And unfortunately, as I started to walk up the magical hidden stream, I zoomed in to look at it, and then I didn't pay attention to the fact that I didn't zoom back out again. So most of that seven minutes of video is unusable garbage. Until I get back down to the road, and I've still got it zoomed in, not very far, but I don't realize I've still got it zoomed in. And I go back down to the road, and I go across the road, and I start walking up the road to where the truck with keith crabtree is sitting and you know he can't walk around the woods so he's waiting for me so as long as i'm walking up there i start filming the ditch next to me on my left hand side which is very steep and goes down quite a ways because that's right where there's a culvert that comes through and um, spews all this little uh, stream down downhill into the river so it makes quite a racket too so as I'm walking along, I'm just filming it, you know, like, yeah, whatever. If there's anything there, I'll get it. I'll stop, film the stream, zoom in a little bit. Okay, that's all cool. So I'm looking at that part last night, and unfortunately, I wish I would have known there was something there and moved a little slower. But apparently there were several cryptids there, and the one that uh, jumped right out at me was um, something that looks very canine with its head sticking out from underneath the pine tree looking at me. You can see its snout, and you can see the left side of its face and its nice red eye, and you can see its fangs and its open mouth and its tongue. It does not look friendly. And so that made me go, well, I need to go through this frame by frame and see what else I can spot. And I've got Robin taking a look at it and several other people. Stephen Hill already got back and found two more uh, Bigfoot in the background besides the one that I spotted. So there's several of them there. And this is really creepy because while I'm up there on the hill walking around by myself in the woods, 
They should be following me around. Popeye's driver here with the shipment of the seasoning for our new blackened chicken sandwich. Do you copy? Copy that. Do you copy me? Copy that. I got paprika, cumin, and onion. Copy. Copy that. Salt, black pepper, white pepper. Copy that. Red pepper. Copy. Copy that. Almost forgot about garlic. Copy that. Do you think others will copy us? Copy. Copy that. I'm sure they'll try. Introducing the new blackened chicken sandwich. No breading, all flavor. Non-breaded and fried at participating U.S. restaurants. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Right? No. They're sitting down by the truck where Keith is. Oh, no. <laughs> Until I get back again. What the hell? <laughs> oh, they're scared of you, Super Duke. They're scared of you. Goober. Goobers, you're supposed to be following me around so I can accidentally get you you're on video and not trying to hide guns. down by the truck. Damn it! Get out onto my lawn so I can film you. So anyway, um, other than that, other interesting thing that happened, uh, just like yesterday, uh, the latest uh, video release from Small Town Monsters, Seth Breedlove. They're always fun. He, he makes good documentaries. Go check it out. This one I found particularly interesting. It's... Uh, um, the coastal Alaskan Sasquatch, they're out on the Kenai Peninsula at uh, somebody that I know's cabin, Scott, and they did the whole documentary on all the activity he was having there. And um, this is interesting to me because I had Rob Roy Menzies and the, um, the probably the best Alaskan Sasquatch tracker in existence, uh, Scott, Lord Scott, on my show. And they both went out to this cabin and did a weekend there and came back with a track cast and a whole bunch of stuff that had happened and um, actually put that out on my show almost two years ago. So this is a follow-up uh, done with a big budget and really good cameras. And, uh, yeah, everything that we already told you guys is true. So there you go. But to get on with what we're talking about tonight, we got part two of the Giants. I gave you the whole background on the Giants and stuff last time. Well, this time we're going to hear some reports. And, again, we're going to – the ancient giants who ruled America and the missing skeletons and great Smithsonian cover-up by Richard J. Dewhurst, which is encyclopedic in its scope. And if you ever wondered where's all this stuff about all these old giants being found and stuff, this is the book you need to own. There may be other ones out there, but if you're interested in giants in North America, get this book. Here's an example. Ohio account of nine-foot giants. From the Stevens Point Journal, May 1st, 1886. It is very evident that in an early day in the history of this country, this section of Ohio was an important camping ground for the American Indian, and indeed, discoveries are frequently made which lead people interested in the matter of prehistoric America to believe that a race of mankind superior in size, strength, and intelligence to the common North Americans of the forest, flourished not only along the coast east and south, but right here in southern Ohio. There are in this country several burying grounds, and two of them are located five miles west of the city near Jasper, one on the farm of Mr. William Bush and one on Mr. Marth- 
Matthew Mark's farm. In a conversation with a gentleman who has seen these skeletons unearthed at the Mark's bank, we are told that many dozens of human skeletons have been exhumed since the bank was first opened. Some of these skeletons have been measured, and the largest has been found to be over nine feet long and more. At one time, ten skeletons were exhumed. They had been buried in a circle, standing in an erect position, and were in a comparatively well-preserved condition. One remarkable fact about all the skeletons unearthed at these places is the perfect state of preservation in which their teeth are to be found. Not a decayed tooth has been discovered, and this would seem to indicate that these people naturally had excellent teeth or some method of extraordinary uh, manner in preserving them. So there you got one from Ohio. Now let's go to Winona, Minnesota. Indian, uh, the history of Winona County, 1883. Indian mounds and relics are found in various parts of the township. Not long since, while some men were digging in Mineral Bluff, some 150 feet above the river, a skeleton of unusual size was unearthed. On measuring, the skeleton was found to be 10 feet in length, with other parts in proper proportion. In the skull was found a copper hatchet. Remember how we talked about the giants use copper weapons on each other? Mm-hmm. And a dart or arrowhead nine inches long. Nine inches long. Another skeleton nine feet long was found in the village of Dresbach while some men were digging a road or trench. These skeletons were of an unusual size to those generally taken from Indian mounds. Their size, form, and structure would lead those well-versed in paleontology to believe they belonged to a race prior to the Native Americans known here now. In many mounds have also been found copper hatchets, chisels, and various kinds of tomahawks and other weapons of war. Also, these antique races seem to have had some process for hardening copper unknown to any modern process. And this has come up since then with some of these things where they found these relics and went, well, this is like as if it was somehow uh, tempered, like a tempered steel object that we'd make today. But we don't know how to do that. Where they came from, when they lived, and from whence they have gone is only conjecture and speculation. That they were mighty races skilled in the mode of warfare, understanding the mechanical arts. For all these, we have conclusive evidence but of their final end, we know nothing. We never know and anything. Then, never. We never know anything. When are we going to? Well, know? that's the fun part about science. You don't get to know anything for sure, absolutely. It's always more questions. True. So here we go. Colorado River, Nevada News, 1947. Near the Nevada, California, Arizona border area, 32 caves within a 180-square-mile area were discovered to hold the remains of ancient, strangely costumed 8- to 9-foot giants. 8- to 9-foot. They had been laid to rest wearing the skins of unknown animals similar to sheepskins fashioned into jackets with pants described by the discoverer as prehistoric zoot suits. Remember, this came out in 47. The same burial place had been found 10 to 15 years earlier by another man who made a deal with the Smithsonian. Ooh, the evidence of this find was stolen and covered up by Darwinian scientists. Dr. F. Bruce Russell had come to Death Valley from the East Coast for the sake of his health. He had taken up mining in the West and was exploring across the Colorado River into Arizona. What he found he described as the burial place of a tribal hierarchy within the ritual hall of an ancient people. He felt that some unknown catastrophe had driven them into these caves. All the implements of their civilization were there, including household utensils and stoves. Dr. Russell reported seeing hieroglyphics chiseled on carefully polished granite 
within what appeared to be a cavern temple. Another cave led to their sacred hall, which contained carvings of ritual devices and markings similar to those of the Masonic, Masonic order. A long tunnel from this temple led to a room where Russell said, quote, well-preserved remains of dinosaurs, saber-toothed tigers, imperial elephants, and other extinct beasts were paired off in niches as if on display, unquote. Ten to fifteen years earlier, the caves had been seen by another miner who had fallen from the bottom of a mine shaft. In his book, Death Valley Men, Bork Lee related a conversation among residents of Death Valley concerning the local Paiute Native American legends of an underground city at Wingate Pass. After falling through the ceiling of an unknown tunnel, the miner had followed it 20 miles north of the Panamint Mountains to discover a huge underground ancient city. He saw arching stone vaults with huge stone doors and a polished round table at the center of their council chamber which had once been lit by ingenious lights fueled by subterranean gases. Leaning against the walls were their tall gold spears. He said the designs of the thick golden armbands resembled the work of the Egyptians. The tunnel ended at an exit overlooking Furnace Creek Ranch in California's Imperial Valley. He could see from there that the valley had once been underwater. The tunnel entrance had been a dock or a quay located halfway up the side of the mountain now. A deal was made with the Smithsonian Museum for the find, but the miner was betrayed by his partner. The evidence was stolen and the entrance concealed. In a 1940 mining journal, another find was reported as much-worked gold uh, found in an eight-mile-long cave near San Bernardino. University of Arizona professor Vine Deloria, himself a Native American, made a similar accusation against the Smithsonian for covering up the remains found within the burial mounds of the Mound Builders civilization. More on them later. Surviving diaries from before the time of Darwin attest to these discoveries. The Mound Builders were a different civilization than that of the Indians, they said. The mounds contained the remains of hundreds of giants, along with the bones of giant mastodons, etc. In Cincinnati, Ohio, the giant bones were found with large shields, swords, and engraved stone tablets. In Kentucky and Tennessee, the bones of, quote, powerful men of towering stature, unquote, were excavated. One of these seven-foot men was buried with an engraved copper plate beneath his head. A woman was also found, and she was wearing a silver girdle with letters written on it. The Detroit Free Press reported in 1884 the discovery in Gartersville, Mississippi, of the remains of a giant with waist-length jet black hair. He was wearing a copper crown, with him in his timber burial vault were his children, who wore garments decorated with bone beads. The tomb was covered with large flagstones engraved with inscriptions. In Cayuga Township, Niagara, there is a place called the Cemetery of the Giants, which was discovered in 1880. Those giants were nine feet tall and appear to have died violent deaths. Their axes were found with them. Giant bones were also unearthed from a rock fissure on Lake Erie Island. In some of the finds of giant bones, the bones lay in confusion, as if left on a battlefield. The Smithsonian does display some artifacts of the mound builders found with the bones of the giants, shell discs and carved stone beads. Many of the bones turned to pottery ash within a short time of being exposed to the air, which is a mute testament to their great antiquity. The Smithsonian has been reluctant to test some less fragile finds. The late Vine Deloria said that it is because they, quote, might find a really early date for the bones, unquote, and that it would be distressing to their timeline. And then we get to the mound builders. Sure. 
Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley. Professor E.L. Lively and J.L. Williamson of Friendly have made an examination of the giant skeletons found by children playing near the town. The femurs and vertebrae were found to be in a remarkable state of preservation and showed the persons to be of enormous stature. Skeletons ranged in height from the largest being 7'6 down to the smallest 6'7". Skulls found are of peculiar formation. Forehead is low and slopes back gradually, while the back part of the head is very prominent, much more so than the skulls of people living today. In other words, cone heads like Paracas skulls. The legs are exceedingly long and the bones unusually large. The finding of the skeletons has created a great deal of interest, and the general impression is that the bones are the remains of people who built the mounds, the largest in the country being located in a town uh, mysteriously called Moundsville in Marshall County. Now, if we go to Pennsylvania, we find a different kind of giant there. Charleston Daily Mail, September 20th, 1916. Sayer is a borough in Bradford County, Pennsylvania, 59 miles northwest of Scranton. The exact year is not clear, but during the 1880s, a large burial mound was discovered in Sayer. It was reported that a group of Americans uncovered several strange human skulls and bones. The skeletons belonged to anatomically normal men, with the exception of bony projections located about two inches above the eyebrows. It appeared the skulls had horns. The bones were characterized as giant as they were representative of people over seven feet tall. Scientists estimated the bodies had been buried around uh, 1200, um, 1200 AD. The archaeology discovery was made by a reputable group of antiquarians, including Dr. G.P. Donahue, the Pennsylvania State Dignitary of the Presbyterian Church, A.B. Skinner of the American Investigating Museum, and W.K. Moorhead, of the Phillips Academy Andover, Massachusetts. And this was not the first time a gigantic horned skulls were in North America. During the 19th century, similar skulls were discovered near Wellsville, New York, and in a mining village close to El Paso, Texas. At one time in history, human horns were used as a sign of kingship. Alexander the Great, in fact, is depicted with horns on some of his coins. In Moses' time, horns were a symbol of authority and power. Apparent pictures of these skulls do exist, and they have one in here. But many people claim the discovery to be a hoax. Conversely, many websites suggest that the objects are of extraterrestrial oh origin. Mr. Duke, we have to call it the night right there on this abbreviated version of the cryptid report. But once again, absolutely amazing. I love the theme this week with everything to do with, you know, these these long skull and bones and where are they going? Is it the Smithsonian? Is it the government? Or is it in Super Duke's freezer? We will never really know. Well, maybe on the freezer we will. Super Duke Sullivan. Yes, the, World the Bigfoot Radio. At my headquarters is full of the skeletons. Yeah, that's right. World Bigfoot Radio can be found all over the internet. YouTube, BitChute, Rumble, and so many more places. When we come back, it's the thought of the day. Get off my lawn, people. Let's do this thing. Lots of show left when we return. I totally forgot it was thought of the Dave day. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad you enjoyed the giant stuff this week. And hey, I wanted to ask you if you don't mind if I could use the two giant segments from this week on my show 
because uh, first of all, it's stuff that I haven't really put on up over there. And secondly, I think it would really encourage more of them to go, hey, Duke's doing like completely different content on Dave's show every week. And we're yeah, missing man. it. Of course. And then show up and watch the dang thing. <laughs> yeah, of course. Man. Why did I put in all this effort finding all this cool stuff to put out in your show? They should at least know it's, it's happening. So they show up and watch it. Make it happen. Make right. it happen. All right, buddy. So easily, easily done. Take right. care, everybody. Love you. Enjoy, enjoy Thanksgiving. What's left of it? We still got half an hour here. And I didn't go into an L trip to Fancoma after eating all of the turkey. I stayed awake to be on the show and tell you about Giants. Woohoo. <laughs> Later, buddy. Much love. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. Uh, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Gotta love him. Gotta love him. He is uh, one of the best. He really is one of the best dudes out there. Uh, Mr. Eon, voice of the gods. How you doing, buddy? If anybody's ever heard Mr. Eon talk on other YouTube channels, oh, literally you should be voicing over uh, books for audio versions of books. Seriously. Oh, my God. Charge. Do 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 charge do 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 charge Yeah, I got the haircut this morning or this afternoon. Beard trimmed up. My hairstylist, she's so funny. Her name's Nikki. Larky Derry, welcome. And uh, the minute I walk in the door, she's like, okay, what weird stories do you have for me today? <laughs> it just kills me. I'm like, what if I don't have any? She goes, and you're not getting your hair cut. <clears throat> I'm surprised so many of you are here tonight with turkey coma. Very much surprised. Dave does look like a grandpa. That's a compliment right there. That's a compliment. My little guy. Do we have time for a photo here? I think we do. I think we do. Let's take a little looksy-poo at him today. Uh, here's a good one. Here's a good one of my boy. Right there. All snuggled up by his teddy bear. Yeah, right there. Can't wait to meet him. Whole one day old. A whole one day old. Remember those days?
he's so cute. So cute. We got like one minute here. I'm sorry to hear that, Penny Van. Very sorry to hear that. All right, we got seven seconds. Thank you, Cat Chaser, W. Decker, Vaughn, and Simon for the Super Chats. Here we go, everyone. Third, we're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate it. Want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where I grind my gears, yell at you to get off my lawn, because it's the Dave 101. Today, I had a phone call with a friend of mine about a potential television show idea. Now, you've heard me many times before. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. It's here. Peloton's best offer of the season. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton Tread. Choose from accessories like a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, yoga blocks, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. Hurry. Peloton's best offer of the season is here, but not for long. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Limited time offer cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Or come on out and state 
look, paranormal television sucks. It really does. I'm not saying the people do, okay, but the way it is shown on TV, it's just way too predictable. Way too predictable. So I've had an idea, and I've talked to my buddy Merle about it and a couple other people, because you really got to campaign for this kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a television star. Oh, lo and behold, I do have a face for radio and a voice for print. Definitely not television made, old Davey is. But I was thinking about this. What are we missing on paranormal television? And when I use the word paranormal, I'm using it as an umbrella term. Well, we're missing answers. We're missing evidence. We're missing some really cool locations. And most of all, we are missing some very, very cool stories. Look, I'm not here to jump on the backs of all of these television shows because Lord knows people are doing what they love. And I will never, ever tread on somebody who is making a living off of something they love to do. However, my question to all the television shows out there is this. Where is the imagination? Where is the focus? Where is the stories that are not repeated on every single show? It may be a different cast of characters, but it's the same location talking about the exact same Ghosts talking about the exact same stories. And to be honest with you, it's boring. How many times do we have to see ghost shows go into Bobby Mackey's or, you know, Gettysburg, Waverly Hills, Alcatraz, the Lizzie Borden House, all of the places that have become average ghost hunting tourist attractions. Look, I'm not denying that those places are haunted, not denying it whatsoever. But if you want to pique my interest, we need to be doing something new. We need to be pushing the envelope on some of these small towns that are strewn across the world. But we're going to focus on North America here that have their own legends and stories. You know, imagine, remember the old uh, MTV television show where they got a bunch of no-name people and they went on a motorhome and they went touring around the U.S., you know, going to all these different locations? Wouldn't that be cool if there was like a paranormal supernatural show like that? Just fill up a motorhome with a team that travels along the highways and byways to go look for all of these small-town legends. No, they don't want to do that, though. Number one, it costs a lot of money, let's be honest. I mean, if the average show is a million dollars, you're looking at a couple million for this one. And that's a big chunk of change. But I would say this, 
we need to start telling some of these stories. There are so many legends out there. There are so many small town folklore. And as these towns age, there's a chance these stories may go extinct with them. I think every state and every province has a town somewhere that is probably up for sale right now because, well, they just can't afford to keep it going, as weird as that sounds. Whether it's because coal mining is disappearing, whether it's because forestry jobs have disappeared, whether it's because fishing industries have shut down, or any other natural resource that kept these towns hustling and busting for decades are now no longer in business. Therefore, the town dries up, and there's not enough critical thinking to keep these towns going. An example of this is in Rachel, Nevada, you know, where the little alien is. There is a famous story on how that town resurrected itself. And believe it or not, it has nothing to do with aliens, even though people there are driven because of Area 51 and UFOs and extraterrestrials. And it's right along the extraterrestrial highway, about two hours out of Las Vegas. Now, that town was bankrupt. It was about to shut down until a couple of gentlemen said, hey, we think we know how to get the tourists out of Las Vegas and into Rachel. How did they do it? Believe it or not, geocaching. They set up geocaches along the extraterrestrial highway, and there's over 2,000 of them that go along the highway, including shapes of a UFO, shapes of an alien gray head, And if you trust the old saying from Field of Dreams, if you build it, he will come, the people came. The alien at one point was only having maybe, on a good day, 50 people a day entering their store. After the geocaches were placed, that number went tenfold to over 500 a day. And it kept the town alive. Geocaching. And if you don't know what geocaching is, it's a really cool scavenger hunt game. Go to geocaching.com if you want to check it on out. I'm a geocacher. I enjoy it. But that's not the point. This isn't about geocaching. This is about legends, folklore, and what we see on television. There are dozens upon dozens of paranormal television shows that are out there. And yet, do you not feel they're all the same? Don't you feel that they are not pushing the limits of trying to figure out what ghosts are or what cryptids are? I mean, the ghost shows still outnumber everything, about three to one. But nonetheless, there's never anything new. If they're out searching for Sasquatch, they're searching areas that have already been searched. And the stories have already been told. 
We don't need more camera crews going to Bluff Creek to reenact the Patterson-Gimlin film. We don't need it. We have to start thinking outside the box. Bring us something entertaining. Bring us something that we want to see. I want to go up north here in British Columbia where there's a First Nations band that believes that many of their people are hunted every year by pterodactyls. I want to go to the Gold Bridge here in British Columbia, which is a couple hours south of me, to go investigate the hipster time traveler photo. I want to be able to go to Saskatchewan and learn and possibly film the ghost lights from the trains that still run the tracks that have been dead for decades. Some of those areas don't even have tracks on them anymore. I want to be entertained. I want new stories. When it comes to UFOs, we don't need any more Calvin Parker. We don't need any more Andreasen stories. We don't need Benny and Barty Hill. Okay? We don't need it. There are others out there that need their stories to be told. We want to be able to push the limits on what we are doing. The only way we could do that is by expanding our fortune of paranormal treasures. We're not going to get it by doing the same thing over and over and over again with this, with just different crews. That's it. How hard is it to use some imagination? How hard is it to say, instead of turning left to go to Bobby Mackey's on Route 66, let's turn right and then maybe head south. Find a hick town in Arizona, and let's learn about their ghosts there. I'm pretty sure there are a few. There are stories to be told from the Wild West to the immigrants first coming over from Europe on the East Coast. The ghost ships of Halifax, the battlefield of Niagara Falls, where... Just like Gettysburg, you can hear gunfire and cannons firing. Why don't we go there? Why don't we go to some of these castles that were built when man first came to North America that are now tourist attractions? Why don't we go see what their hauntings are all about? Why are we not going up north to find out what's really haunting the Nahani Valley, a.k.a. the Headless Valley. Why aren't we sending more crews up to Alaska where the Sasquatch claimed to get up to 15, 16 feet tall and maybe a 1,000 plus pounds? That's where I want to see. Peak my interest. I haven't watched paranormal television steadily for well over 15 years now. Why? Because I don't want the same thing. I don't want it. I need something new. Refresh me. Virginia City can only be 
can only be investigated so many times. Hey, it's great tourism dollars for them. And if any of these areas are making money off of tourism because of paranormal, good on them. Good on them for waking up and seeing a niche where they can attract revenue to keep these towns going. I wish my town where I live would do the exact same thing, but the town doesn't want to embarrass itself. No, there are legends everywhere that we have not even heard of. All right. I want to hear those stories. I want to hear stories of weird creatures that are haunting farmers in northern Saskatchewan or the potato farmers in Idaho. I want to know why we, even though we we see it all the time at Devil's Tower, where there claims to be a lot of UFO activity, why do we never see any ufologists go film there? What, are we afraid that we might actually catch Lou Elizondo sitting on his patio in his underwear? It's nothing to be afraid of. No. It's the fact that nobody shows imagination anymore. We all want to do the same thing because it works. It doesn't matter whether it's haunted hospitals or ghost adventures. And not everything is demonic, not everything is evil, but there are stories to tell. Our job in the paranormal supernatural, whether you have a television show, whether you have a radio show like I do, whether you have a YouTube channel or a podcast, is to tell stories. People listen to us because they want to be freaked out. They want to know that their darkest dreams may be reality. That's why we do it. The experiencers already know. We need those experiencers to tell what they have gone through. We have that ability. We have the knowledge. But the big question is, as we close out this Dave 101, is why aren't we doing it? That's the real head scratcher. Thank you for listening to the Dave 101 tonight. It's a little bit off from what we normally do, but it was a good one nonetheless. And now it's time to move on over for Shirky Poo's News. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's News! A World War II photo has resurfaced and gone viral as people are convinced it shows a time traveler amongst the crowd. If time traveling were real, you might think that the powers that be would want to send a James Bond-esque spy to jump through time and carry out missions. But ultimately, you'd want someone who could blend in with a crowd, someone who's discreet, someone like the photo they are showing off. Now, what you see here is a bunch of soldiers standing around what looks to be a coffee shop. And there is a man standing right against the coffee shop window and it's looking like he's talking on a cell phone. It's very intriguing. Again, this photo was taken in 1943. While there's almost definitely a reasonable explanation for it, a selection of internet sleuths are convinced otherwise. The photo 
is a throwback. It first went viral in 2016 when Facebook user Christian Hoffman shared it on the Icelandic group Gamlar. He described how he captured scene, a scene showing a, a suspicious man wearing a trench coat and a poor boy's hat amongst U.S. soldiers deployed in Iceland's Reykjavik capital. The American army is taking over Icelandic splendor, as you can see, wrote Christian. One thing that draws the attention to this beautiful picture, though, is that the above window, is that above the window, pardon me, in the corner of the middle of the picture is a man leaning on the glass, talking on a cell phone. As well as the high-tech device, the Facebook user also pointed out other unusual details of the time traveler, including that he is looking directly into the camera. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. He's just talking on the phone. He's in a stupor, standing alone and wearing a different headdress than others and a scarf acting like we would today. The image has unsurprisingly sparked online debate, with many siding with the viewpoint that, yes, it is a time traveler. Solid evidence, wrote one person on Twitter. Another said, the first handheld phone was created in 1983, and World War II happened in the 30s and 40s. That is time travel, WTF. You can go Google the photo, Iceland time traveler, if you want to see it for yourself. Let's move on. A video showing astronauts having a bit of trouble walking around the moon has some people questioning whether the whole trip up there happened at all. Hey, Homer, where are you? The video is worth watching anyways because it's pretty funny. All you got to do is go to YouTube and type in NASA astronauts struggle to walk on moon. The first thing that we should note here is that it's fairly incredible that the people still don't believe that the moon landings happen. In truth, if it did turn out that the whole thing was false, it would be a massive story and for good reason. Just make sure you never suggest that to Buzz Aldrin because he will literally punch you in the face. Anyways, the video showing people walking on the moon seems to suggest that it's a fair bit tougher than you might first imagine. The guys up there seem to struggle to hold their balance as well as finding it tough to get much traction to move around. In the short video taken... Up there by NASA astronauts, they even seem to get a little frustrated at times with the walking. After seeing the video on Twitter, a number of people have said that it just makes sense and more convincing to them that no one ever went up there. One wrote, it's so fake that no country tried it again, while another said, studio was slippery. That's, of course, a reference to the theory that the whole thing was shot in a movie studio. Letting the cat out of the bag can be a little dangerous at times. Security staff at New York's JFK International Airport noticed something unusual in the x-ray of a traveler's bag, a stowaway cat. The TSA said agents monitoring the baggage x-rays at the airport noticed what appeared to be the outline of an animal. The bag was opened by a TSA officer who was shocked to see a live orange tabby cat inside. TSA agents told Delta Airlines about the discovery and the airline was able to locate the owner of the bag who was preparing to fly to Orlando, Florida. The bag's owner said the cat belongs to another member of his family. The man was able to rebook another flight for the next day so he could take the cat home. <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine? Oh, stowaway cats. It does happen. It does happen. Anyways, I want to say a big thank you to Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio, Swamp Dweller for another great story, all of you for being patient with my Dave 101, and of course to Homer Hickam 
best-selling author, former NASA engineer, talking about space all night tonight. What a great show. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in, at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, LGAP, Spreaker, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyrighted by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. It's here. Peloton's best offer of the season. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton Tread. Choose from accessories like a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, yoga blocks, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. Hurry. Peloton's best offer of the season is here, but not for long. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Limited time offer cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.